The Christopher Guest mockumentary trilogy is complete. The worst animated movie of all time and Boz Lerman's batshit adaptation of a literary classic is now. This week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. Despite some delays, which I personally apologize for, hopefully this week will be more on time. Apologies. Don't stop listening to us because this week is super fun. Uh, lots of great mm. recommendations this year. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and thank God for model trains. If they didn't have the model trains, they wouldn't have gotten the idea for big trains. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and, you know, after looking at home prices recently, I, I really want to hear more about this van down by the river. Ah. I mean, is it heated? <laughs> I'm, I'm considering it. Oh, you can get like a, you can get a, I'll never have a vacation home, but if my home is on wheels, everywhere can be a vacation I watched um, Nomad Land, and that's what I want for my life. You can get a bigger one. Welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, where we tell you all about the wonderful anniversaries, milestones, things that happened in the world 30 and 20 and 10 years ago, so you can see how we evolved or haven't evolved. It's always an interesting journey, and I fell down a massive rabbit hole on some really stupid nothing items that I'm curious to see what my uh, co-hosts and our audience has to say about, because like it was very confusing for me. But also, unlike other weeks, we have a lot of great movies um, and a lot of great stuff yes. to talk about in, in these segments. I think we've officially started summer because mm-hmm. we got some good ones, finally. Some Stone Cold class. we started summer in 2013 and 2003, not 100% on 1993, you know? It still doesn't feel feel like summer started later in 93. It, it always seemed to coincide after I was out of school, whereas summer now starts for movies in April. Uh, we're in, in, in currently anyway beginning as we always do in 1993 we'll be discussing by the way the week of may 5th through the 11th across three decades 30 20 and 10 years ago 1993 to t- 2003 and 2013 encompassing one single week and showing all the stuff that goes on like our world was much busier when we can look back on it than we thought it was such as as we get through the news from 30 years ago things you may not have noticed i definitely did not would pave the way for many things to come uh, south africa Africa this week agrees to multiracial elections in my Yay. lifetime. Woo! This was huge. This mm-hmm. was so big. You know, when I say I'm disappointed in the 21st century, I'm not joking. I was historically aware on December 31st, 1999, and I like pictured the future. I read a book on the previous century and I wrote an essay, What Will the Next Century Be Like? And yeah, lots of it are super disappointing, big mega trends. <laughs> but uh, the reason I was so optimistic in 1999 was because I lived through 91 and 92. Mm and 93. And listeners, you're going to have really big democracy breaking out all over the place. You know, South Africa is going from a place where only whites can vote to the rainbow state of Africa. It's a huge accomplishment. And that was just part of what made 
the 90s optimistic once we got over the grunge years at least yeah <laughs> <laughs> and yet they didn't by the time we get to 99 all our movies are american beauty and the matrix and people feeling like shouldn't i be happier now that everything's good my on we is the biggest disaster of the decade yeah and... it's like well i don't know i'm kind of a big fan of the soviet union not crushing their own people every day yeah. but on the other hand my wife cares too much about her gardening gloves <laughs> we don't have sexed <laughs> enough uh, but uh, there are real weird things the murder of three children in West Memphis, Arkansas, the murder of Robin Hood Hills. I oh. definitely did not hear of this happening, but it would go on to I, four of my favorite documentaries ever made, especially the original uh, Paradise Lost trilogy. My first yeah. look at injustice as a young, very young teenager in a few years, that uh, the murder of three children allegedly, I don't know at this point, they have suspects motivated by death metal and satanic rituals. That's what yeah. we're looking at. And of course, that wasn't the case. And here we stand 30 years later with some form of justice, but it's just a terrible no. American tragedy all I mean, across the board. We've reversed the injustice reversed of putting injustice. the three black metal stoner kids in jail for 18 fucking years. After they were ruined but, for, for right. 30 years. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But we, no, we still don't have justice for nope. Stephen Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers, Byers who yeah. were three eight-year-olds who were off running around after school and, and went missing and their murdered and semi-mutilated bodies were found shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, it, it's so sad. I mean, it took away all they could ever be. You know, yeah. all three of those boys were Boy Scouts with a rank of wolf and that's it. They, yeah. they were loved by their parents, but they never got to grow. They never got to experience life. And the murderer got away with that. Yep. Okay. It, it, that's it's something thing, I, I lose sight of in, in terms of the injustice that followed, that the horrific nature of that crime that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. You, you no. can be a, as long as murder as you, of children. <laughs> of children in one, at one spot in time, not three, three of them at the same time, not mm -hmm. being, you know, a serial killer, usually killing one and or two people. Doesn't involve an AR 15. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, but yeah. you can be as law and order as you want, and you should really hate framing then, because that means you're letting the guilty party mm -hmm. off, okay? It's it's a horrible tragedy, and uh, yeah, one of the boys moved to Salem, Massachusetts, and he said he really felt for the witches in Salem, Massachusetts of 400 years ago, because mm -hmm. he had been through pretty much the exact same thing. He was sentenced to die. And I, I don't know who yep. had the foresight, because I guess it's it's within a few weeks the filming starts on this documentary and doesn't mm. see the light of day, I think, for another two years. But, like, they're there every day through – I don't know why, how the filmmakers knew something was amiss here. Uh, and we would get our first ever licensing of Metallica music, something they refused to do up until the uh, – integrity-filled Mission Impossible 2 because of how much they were personally moved by the story. Well, yeah, every teenage dirtbag re can relate to the idea of just, like, being the local trouble kid and then trying to pin stuff on you and you just being, like, wanting to freak out the squares, mm -hmm. I guess, of just, like, yeah, I know, sure, you think I'm into Satanism? Yeah, whatever, Satan, and not realizing because you're a dumbass teenager that, uh, don't talk to cops! Mm. Never, ever, ever talk to cops without a lawyer present ever you can't talk your way out of this you can't oh this will all sort itself out i'm just fucking with these guys no yep my first example of a coerced confession cops. anyway oh, really coerced confession look in the west he doesn't Memphis know 3. any details of anything but yeah. they're like well 
We ask him enough times, he'll guess. We've talked about this numerous yeah. times on previous episodes of 30th, 2010, given the structure of our show, most recently in a yep. 2013 segment, 2012 segment. But let's move on to other news, because uh, 16-year-old Kieran Thomas disguises himself as a motorman and takes a New York City <laughs> subway train and 2,000 passengers on a three-hour ride. It would be one thing if he did it for like five minutes. This junior or sophomore, I guess, uh, did it for three hours. How? Like, my my rudimentary knowledge of municipal transit shouldn't make that impossible. Cut the power. No, they didn't they, notice. Oh, wow. They didn't notice until he took a turn too fast and that tripped the emergency brake. And then they had to come down and see what was going on and realize, oh, you're not an employee. <laughs> Uh, oh, I, I am the furthest thing from an Elon Musk fan, but everything gets better with automated transit. Holy Lord. Jesus Christ. I can't believe they're still I like that. Is, that's even possible for a 16 year old to commandeer a subway. There's a numerous movies about stealing a subway train. It's usually done with years of plotting and professionals. <laughs> and a 16 year old just walks on and steals a subway train in my lifetime. Oh. Or it's a, a big old man with a gun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You've managed to capture this uh, subway train with a machine gun and soldiers. Good job. This kid is just armed like... with a Super Mario wallet. And yeah. boom. <laughs> exactly. He just, he just wandered into the train yard, signed in like he worked there, took the train. And th- this made me fall down the rabbit hole a bit, but I, I wanted to see if it conjured some memories in people. Because I didn't really understand this. We didn't cover a couple of these things because it's kind of out of my purview, but I fell down the rabbit hole of it. Cracks are showing in the recent release of Microsoft MS-DOS. DOS 6, which no. DOS, and I'm like, I oh, I hated DOS. I'm so glad I didn't have to use that anymore. And it, I went down the rabbit hole, and this is sort of the end of DOS, because Windows mm. 3.1, which is I, most of our first relationship with Windows, a PC graphic-based user interface, DOS was like when you see hacking in a movie, a black screen text <laughs> bring down CD slash dir C prompt. Like you would have to type in programming to access your fucking programs. And I think windows originally ran on that. So most video games to free up resources, we'd have to exit out of windows and use DOS at this time. And CD games are just getting started to make this long story short. Bill Gates bought the original DOS program. They were made by numerous other people. He licensed it to IBM and they had a falling out. And this is the year where like, well, we're going to make Windows and IBM is going to make OS too. So for PCs, it's the rise of the graphical user interface system and the ubiquity of Windows. Dramatized in the Noah Widely biopic of both Steve Jobs and... Bill Gates. Apple was already Versus Silicon Valley. That's it. Apple yeah. was already Apple was already <laughs> doing this. Everybody stole like the graphic base. You click on a tile that opens a program. Apple mm-hmm. was already doing this is slowly this year throughout the course of 18 months being quietly fought and I think given the nature of like our ages, we didn't know any of this was happening. We weren't quick to update OS's. My first two PCs didn't have Windows, uh, mm-hmm. but I wanted one with Windows, and they're finally re- coming with Windows installed. 3.1, I remember for some reason. Well, I remember it because I wasn't typing in D-R- mm-hmm. D-I-R slash Y, because if you didn't, it would just scroll them all past you too yes. quick for you to read. And it was like, what was the point of that, computer? <laughs> So you did, yeah, I imagine JR had some experiences in DOS. I don't know what Diana's is, but like. Oh, yeah. WordPerfect 5.0. That's how I got through high school. Because I, I asked, I, you know. Blue screen with white text. And, and yep. if you want to bold stuff, it's the F keys. And there's a little paper thing that you tape to your computer. 
I'm, I'm crowdsourcing. So you remember this. how do you bold and, and italic stuff and save? And, there's and no there's no control S. DOS you came hit a different button. DOS came from it was coined as QDOS for quick and dirty operating system and stayed the operating system for like almost twenty years. And both window Windows runs on DOS until Windows ninety five. So like. I still, we all still had to use some form of DOS, especially if we were still gaming or if you were programming. But again, we were young. I'm curious to see what smarter people out there went. I did fall down the rabbit hole with that. But Windows 3.1 is out this year. I, it, we didn't cover it. So I just wanted to make sure there's a huge change in operating systems for the PC market 30 years ago going on right now. Anywho. Moving on to movies of 1993, May 5th through the 11th. The night was starting with A Night We Never Met with Matthew Broderick and Annabella Sciorra. Don't know this one. It is a cute rom-com. It's about people who share an apartment on like different days. What? Which is a very adorable New York. We're poor, but we're cute kind of idea. Wait, where where do you, do you sleep on the street yeah, on the other days? timeshare? Yeah, or you've got roommates, but like this is set aside space where, okay, you know, I think she's an artist, so she needs like some art space. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, they're basically time sharing this apartment, but they're leaving each other notes. I think there's a couple like other people too, they're leaving each other notes, and then they end up communicating via the notes. And so you get sort of a you got mail thing going on there. Like the big thing that I remember from this is that for some reason, it's always stuck in my head that Matthew Broderick, I believe, works at Dina DeLuca, which is like a fancy, fancy market food place and i've only been to one once and they had a shrimp that was like bigger than a baseball one fucking shrimp and that is an image that like i can't get out of my head because i just start thinking like what if all shrimp were that size like (laughs) we wouldn't call them shrimp because our shrimp would need something else we call them what they should be called shrimp because they're small or are small things called shrimpy because they're i don't get it I i think it's the last the latter that's that's my theory. Chicken nuggets are smaller than shrimp. Yeah, but and it was very literally a jumbo shrimp. It was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. They should be called Dracula fingers. It. That's what they should be called. They always Ooh. should have been called that. And that's that's not bad. <laughs> so it, I mean, the reviews on it are like it's cute, it's fun. You know, it's kind of time capsule-y, like '90s New York uh, indie type folks, whatever. And then the fact that our next movie was number two at the box office for now for this week next week it will move up and it will stay at number one for a while but with this pedigree i mean an ivan reitman Mm -hmm. film coming after kindergarten cop and twins and this guy's on a fucking roll and it's it's character it's it's character actor heaven here um oh yeah and uh ben kingsley ving rames frank langella sigourney weaver and kevin klein in dave hi i'm dave uh, see, I only no. put that little joke in there because I really like the show Dave, and it has completely overtaken this movie with just the search term Dave because it's got a new season out right now. Made me giggle a little bit like, oh, shit, the people really like the show I like. Cool. Dave on FX Hulu, story of Little Dicky, an up-and-coming Jewish rapper. But no, this is the real trailer for Dave. Dave is taking the country by surprise. God bless America! The first surefire summer comedy sensation. Okay, let's get back to work. Whoa! Kevin Klein is sensational. Ever since the stroke, I killed. A wonderful, funny, feel-good movie. Think fun. Think hit. Think Dave. I once caught a fish. This big. Dave. An Ivan Reitman film. I, I can't. 
I can't describe the phenomenon I felt like this movie was, and it looks like, according to history, it was as well. But like I'm telling you, I'm a, I'm a little kid just starting to become obsessed with movies, so I think I see this movie with my parents in the theater. I see it with another family when I spend the night at a friend's house. It comes out on video. This is like the movie, I one of the first movies I remember everybody being swept away by surprisingly. And to the point where I was sick of seeing it by 1994 because I'd seen it so many times. Obviously, I'm a kid. I'm not going to get the finer nuances. But I don't know if that was your experience. This movie bowled everybody over. It is such a crowd pleaser because, like, oh, they they found a a way to make a Frank Capra movie in 1993. So stupid. It It is a premise that has been done a thousand times where, like, regular Joe goes to Washington slash Prince and the Popper. It is the same story told a thousand times, but by, I guess not only a skilled director, like the actors in it are awesome. And they- oh, yeah. and, and <laughs> yeah. this is Gary Ross, uh, who's become a, a filmmaker. I feel like has kind of receded into the background. He does a lot of good work, but you don't realize that's a Gary Ross film. Mm. But his, this is like his third screenplay. Previ- his first screenplay was big. Wow. Like he, wow. Knows, he knows how to do heartwarming, but not schmaltzy. That's what surprised me. Rewatching it in the current year, I was, expecting to roll my eyes be like oh man this is gonna be the weakest sauce it's gonna we have have previously just watched this year's distinguished gentleman and chris rock's uh head of state so we've like seen this premise done several times that guy should be president Mm -hmm. right yep right this is the best version because it absolutely has heart we like dave as a character it's like he's not doing this because he's greedy or wants power he just falls into it he's a patsy genuine good guy and at the end he gives a speech how being president is a job and a temp job at that mm-hmm. and you're presiding how you how you have a duty for your temporary time to help as many people as possible and that stuck with me for 30 years i remember seeing that in theaters and i was like yeah you do have this responsibility to do the best with your temporary job. What really stuck with me is the first lady. Okay, so in this story, <laughs> a philandering president, uh, he only goes into a coma, right? Right. And, and... He, has, he has a stroke while fucking his secretary, Laura Linney. Which, by the way, and... Kevin Klein is my dad's age. So they're saying, like, <laughs> at my age, he had a massive stroke. And <laughs> so that's... Yeah, it happens. It happens. I guess, it happens. maybe 30 years ago. But then... Knowingly, so, the first lady falls in love with her hated husband's doppelganger, <laughs> but through through what Jr. just channeled, like they both believe, like these are positions of this is a civil civic service, and we have to take that position seriously. So if you're a fake guy, fine, but they kind of bond over that <laughs> and fall in love. The idea of the first lady banging. The doppelganger, Saddam Hussein as <laughs> doppelganger. Don't think about it yeah. too long because the movie does it yeah. well. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of things in here where it's like, well, if you think about what happens next, well, the the firestorm of controversy. It was like, yeah. wait, okay, the former first lady <laughs> is dating some guy who runs a temp agency who just happens to look exactly, shockingly like her husband. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, canon as part of the Dave verse that Oliver Stone <laughs> is suspicious. Because they show a clip of Oliver Stone like questioning this new president, and everyone's discussing him as dismissing him as a kook. But 
after the events of this film, I, I swear Oliver's going to make a big movie to blow this out of oh, the water. So that, that's <laughs> he's, something he's going to be the hero of the Dave universe. That's something I had <laughs> in my notes. It was an, another thing this reminded me of was Tootsie, which I just watched for the first time. And I said, huh. one of the things, yeah, somebody who's not who they say they are bringing good to the masses through a, you know, false personality. And one of the things I, I said, it's on patreon.com slash laser time. We talked about glowingly about Tootsie in 48 hours is I wish they had a montage to see how Tootsie was impacting the world. And I think of the movies we watched, the amount of real life media presence in this movie is absolutely astounding to say nothing of how many fucking real senators are in this movie. <laughs> uh, there's a lot, but like Larry King, Jay Leno, like a, Everybody who was on CNN at the time makes a cameo in this movie somewhere. They really do play up the realism, the nowness of this movie with a ton of real people. Well, I, I think it was just a smaller entertainment world back then. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like this wasn't going to be shared on a YouTube clip and you wouldn't have pundits go, how dare Senator Bundersnatch appear in a film <laughs> where he's mocking what's clearly our guy. You know, uh, it's not going to be a YouTube clip. It's going to be shown once on the movie theater. People may smile and nod, and then they'll move on. Yeah. 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 And, and no one remembered Moon over Parador. It was only years ago. Uh, the Richard Dreyfus dictator version of this film. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when it comes to politics, it takes some big leaps. The idea that's like, oh, he's going to go through the budget and cut all these things so there's enough to, you know, save the rec center. And it's like every... Every republic, every senator who's a representative in the districts where he's cutting these programs are going to be fucking pissed. It's not just like, oh, you're right. We should cut that program that like makes people feel better about American made cars. Fuck you. No way. That employs so many lobbyists. That's a make work program. Pork barrel bullshit in somebody's district and they are going to lose their minds. Those people are going to lose jobs mm. because he cut the budget on this program that is admittedly stupid. I remember mm. seeing this in theaters and believe me, when he brings in Charles Grodin as an accountant, always killing it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he starts going through the federal budget and says, if I if I ran my business like this, I wouldn't have a business anymore. Everyone applauded. Huge wow. in 1993. <laughs> that was comedy gold, people. I, I saw it in theaters too. And that line killed. Mm -hmm. and yep. And I just wanted to remark, because it's something I didn't realize we were even reflecting on now. The leading manness of Kevin Klein <sighs> is in the decline. And I think I pinpointed at In-N-Out the last time we see Kevin Klein as the comedic lead. Mm. But all of those movies where he is, I'm not putting <laughs> Wild Wild West in here, because he's definitely not yeah. the comedic lead. But yeah, Kevin yeah. Klein is awesome and just kind of bowed out into like small performances and indie movies and voice roles after a while. You can currently hear him as Mr. Fishoder and Bob's Burgers, but Kevin Klein is the shit. Yeah. I think I, he kills it. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I know he's extremely picky about what he does and he was not the first choice. It was going to be Michael Keaton. He was attached for a while and it's like, um, I could see that too. Yeah, I could mm -hmm. see that. I mean, he's Mr. Mom. He can do comedy. He, but he already did Batman and Bruce Wayne. He can play two characters. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this is so, it's so full of, hey, it's that guys that are so fun, you know, Frank Langella and Kevin Dunn is basically the villains. So much fun. Ving Rhames getting, you know, a bigger part. He, he keeps creeping up in movies. Every time we see him, he gets like two more extra lines. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, he's real fun. It's a good straight man. Hunt. Yeah, Bonnie Hunt for one scene that I still hear quoted <laughs> to this day. Yeah. Everyone forgets where it's from, but they remember it somehow. They're like, we're walking, we're walking, and we're stopping. That I thought that was just like one of those general quotes that originates in this film. Yes. Wow, I've heard that so many times. <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> it's just one of those things. You know who said that to me? Reese Witherspoon literally said that to me once. What? The what? time I met Reese Witherspoon. I love it these was stories. At, it was at the Independent Spirit Awards. I've told that story before that like people were just, you know, a bunch of reporters and we were just asking questions. She was trying to go. And so she was walking and talking and people weren't keeping up. And she, yeah, finally she's like, okay, no, no, come on. We're walking. We're walking. Okay. What was your question? And I was like, <laughs> yay, Reese Witherspoon. Mm. God damn, you're funny. But yeah, Dave, Dave was a uh, HBO cable staple. Like it, my part of my like ignoring it for so long because it was so everywhere for a while and I just hadn't thought about it in like 10 years until it popped up on this list and it's, it's, it's a crowd pleaser. feel good for the whole family, literally so. Like the entire family can watch this, the entire family can enjoy it. So, But, but not Patch Adams Lee insulting in any way. Um, no. And, 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 and yeah. a small movie oh, yeah. that kind of kicks off the summer momentum and goes on to make $100 million off of like 20, this this small comedy featuring yep. the biggest thing is the Sigourney Reaver re reuniting with our Ghostbusters director <laughs> in a totally different role. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Dave, yep. it's a fun recommend. Yeah. Also, yeah. another weird lasting legacy of this is they've reused the Oval Office set built for that so many really? times. Really? Yeah. So many times you'd want an Oval oh, Office yeah. set. I'm I'm surprised exactly. they don't just have one in permanent residence everywhere. Yeah, no, they have a decent Oval Office set. It was built for Dave, and now that's the one that they pull out of storage and use for, I think they used it for Nixon. Uh, I think they used it for In the Line of Fire. I don't think they used it for American President. I think they might have built a new one for that. Right. But... Hot Shots Part Deux that we have coming up shortly. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> um, and then lastly, number one at the box office this week, Robert Wagner, Lauren Holly, Jason Lee. I mean Jason Scott Lee. No relation. The number one movie of the week, uh, Dragon the Bruce Lee Story. Born to America. One man's dream. Sky's the limit, that's what they say. One man's courage. We do not teach our secrets to the enemy. I'll teach whoever wants to learn. One man's life. You can't change people with your fists. Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, which I don't know if you had this, but we were when we were coming so obsessed with movies, we would get free movie posters from the movie theaters or the rental stores and we were throwing them out. So we would hang up movie posters in our rooms before we could see them. <laughs> and we had a fight over this because in a um, only video store world, my friends and I had some... We had knowledge of Bruce Lee and had maybe caught a Bruce Lee film, but like it was really hard to like just go get a Bruce Lee film in 1993. Mm -hmm. So the idea of like a widely accessible Bruce Lee movie, we were really excited. And then we didn't like this movie very much at all. It was very silly. Yeah, I watched this before I had ever seen a single Bruce Lee movie because the hype was around it. Yeah. I knew who Bruce Lee was. All the boys knew who Bruce Lee was. So it's like, let's go see this awesome movie about the most awesome guy who ever awesomed. <laughs> and this was one of my first Laserdisc rentals. Whoa! And, and Laserdisc had this amazing feature where you could skip to what's known as a chapter ah. of <laughs> the movie. This was blowing our mind at the time. And one of the chapters was called Rings of Knives or Circle Knife Fight or something very dramatic like that. And we skipped to it before we saw anything else, hoping it was going to be the most epic fight scene ever. And it's Bruce Lee in an alley with a couple of chefs. 
Yeah, from this film. <laughs> that's yeah. that to me highlights the ridiculousness of the, that they make a Bruce Lee fight scene out of him working as a dishwasher. <laughs> But they're like flying around on fire escapes. <laughs> Everyone wants to turn Bruce Lee's life into a kung fu movie. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Bruce Lee was a child actor. Yes. He was the Macaulay Culkin of Hong Kong. Okay. <laughs> and he learned to do martial arts after he had already been an actor for a number of years as a child. But we don't get that story. We don't get the story of the child star. We don't get the story of the philandering husband who's trying to uh, keep his life together in the Hollywood of uh, the 70s. You know, we don't see that. We see a Hong Kong kung fu flick, but he's a real guy. His life was not a kung fu movie. I I almost admire the approach now. But it is a cliched biopic mixed in with a ton of stuff that couldn't have possibly happened. That you, even at 13 mm-hmm. years old, we're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, well, I mean, part of your problem is probably it's based on the book written by his wife. Yep. So yep. it focuses on their relationship a lot. And that part, I think, is really good. Just the idea of, like, not realizing people are racist against Asians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, like the one scene that's always stuck with me is they're like, oh, boy, let's go see this movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. And then fucking Mickey Rooney shows up and she's like looking over at her date and being like, I am so sorry. We have to go. You know, I'm not one for tampering with films, but I think Breakfast at (laughs) Tiffany's would be perfect if you just CGI'd a modern day Asian actor there. Yeah. Bruce Lee deserved to have his life story told better than this because it is his wife's story mm-hmm. he was cheating on her he they don't include any of that because she wants mm. the good image of her husband to be on screen which i understand but i don't think we've gotten the great bruce lee biopic yet no and i, I think no. No. even though what's in once upon a time in hollywood is mostly fictionalized so is this and it is it mm-hmm. is it is somewhere in between he was a very motivated person and like has a wonderful oh. story about fighting, teaching like some of the greatest action heroes and uh, fighting with some of the greatest, like what for lack of a better word, the MMA people of that time. He was in that scene so thoroughly and there's a fascinating story to be told about it. And she wasn't there for any of that. <laughs> he was an amazing man, mm-hmm. driven, yeah. driven, driven. I mean, you can make a solid argument that he worked himself to death. That is an argument you can make. And Mm -hmm. to see someone that driven and to see it overtake every aspect of their life, which from a lot of accounts, that is what happened with him. He just wanted to be so good. He just focused everything on that and didn't have enough balance in his life. That would be a great story to tell. That's Mm -hmm. not the story this movie is telling. Yeah, this is, I mean, it does blow him up into being like a, a He's a perfect guy, and they also, like, maybe maybe they're haunted. You know? yeah. <laughs> oh, my like, gosh. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Maybe the family uh, is haunted, which, seeing as and we, we were just Sorry, ago, that, I was going to say, his son was killed. That, is wh- uh, that has to be why so many people my age were so well aware of the legacy of Bruce Lee, because it was being talked about in tandem yeah. with the death of Brandon Lee. That is only yes, a couple weeks absolutely. old. Yeah. And, and, and so, like, I'd seen footage of Bruce Lee. Like, I would love to see that movie. That wasn't really possible. It was an early home video world. And maybe your blockbuster had one copy of it. They usually didn't cater to movie older movies. And yeah. that's why we were so excited to finally to go see this. And it doesn't really deliver on that front. So you get to see a guy recreating some Bruce Lee fights. 
I think it's distasteful. They do have Brandon Lee, who got killed two weeks ago, in this film, in this clip here. Oh, God, yeah, the nightmare scenes where they're like, the whole family's haunted. Oh, it's depressing and tasteless. So they're in this film that you are watching, a grown man two weeks ago was shot and killed by a gun, and you're seeing him haunted by a demon who is cursing this family. I mean, obviously this movie was probably in the can before that ever happened, but yeah, Yeah. it does seem like somebody would have made the decision to either delay this or cut that scene entirely, because how could you not think about it? Yeah. Shit, it's giving me goosebumps, yeah. and all we're doing is revisiting these movies decades after the fact. <laughs> oh, it... Still not quite sure what happened to Jason Scottley. Yeah, me neither. I feel like he had a lot of promise, and um, I mean, some of it I'm just going to chalk up to racism. You know, he's he's uh, Asian and Hawaiian. Not, so a, not a lot in... of Asian so needs. It... That's why yeah, Bruce Lee, even nah. Bruce Lee, had to make his bones in America first on television. The only people willing to like put some put an Asian action hero in the lead role. Yeah, he, he has very, very few lead roles. I mean, and yeah, he's in Lilo and Stitch. She's in that. He's in the Crouching Tiger uh, sequel. And um, he, I think he's on the, the Doogie Howser reboot. It's on Disney right now because that takes place in Hawaii. So cool. Ah, but yep. yeah, this guy, it's like he's a damn fine looking man and he's, mm-hmm. he can act all right. He can do all the, the kung fu stuff that he has to do for this movie. It's poor guy just never quite broke out. You know what? I, I had a weird thought while watching this film. Brandon Lee was offered yes. the chance to play his dad in this film. And yep. if he would have taken it, he would have lived. Wow. Holy shit. Yep. Perhaps. Yep. No, not a lot of franchise potential in that. You can see why he takes no. the role. I could see why he wouldn't yeah. want yeah. to play his dad. Oh, that would course. be super weird. Yeah. And he'd be known, that, be... known for that forever. Yeah, it'd be super duper weird. And I, I saw some discussion of like they might not have offered him the part in the end because he didn't look Asian enough. Possibly. He's half white, he, half he's Asian. He's only half um, Chinese. His dad was yeah. from Hong and Kong. And to that to the subject yeah. of diversity, Stupid, what but, yeah. biopic would Hollywood have made starring an Asian person? It's almost bizarre mm-hmm. that this happened because I don't I can't think of another one. Wow. <laughs> of How Asian many biopics about Asian Yes. People. I mean Gandhi, that's one. Yeah, <laughs> great casting. I'm sorry, but, yeah. but that's that's one. No, they 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 got a, a half Indian guy. Sure, but you see what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah, and that was not easy to answer. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty shameful. Shame on you, Hollywood. Shame on us. Shame. Yeah, yeah. It's not like there's no notable Asian peoples. It's true. Like, anywhere, including in a in America. God yeah. damn it. Yeah, but, I think uh, this is. Yeah, we keep saying this, like, not only is this ripe for a remake, but this is ripe to be a miniseries. Oh, yeah. That would probably be how you do it. You you do, like, phases, a 10-episode streaming fancy series. Because there's, yeah, he didn't live a long life, but there is a lot to dig into. Right, right. And, and. With, preferably with no fucking demons in it. It used to be once a year when I would make a, a trailer parody for the Oscar show. I'd have to feverishly text Diana, like, what's that fucking cliche trailer song I need? And she always giggles. and like, that's from Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Yeah. The and one you're thinking of is either Come See the Paradise or Dragon the Bruce Lee story, which is both done by Randy Edelman. The whole soundtrack <laughs> is riddled with what you hear. But for the next 15 to 20 years, this was used in almost every trailer. The you far... get paid extra for that? I like, bet if you, you do. write the score. Yes. And they use it in another trailer? Yes. 
I don't recognize this at all. Oh, yes, <laughs> this, the one that I've heard in every trailer ever. It's That, that would be the song, the premiere of the Big Boss. <laughs> From the big boss sequence that is used in so many trailers throughout the years. It's the reason why it's always still queued up in my YouTube. I use it pretty frequently. It's hilarious. Uh, play to a me. little bit without JR talking over it. I Sorry. don't think anyone recognized it. Just when I hear it, I, I hear yeah, like, did Don LaFontaine write this? A story of a man. Tr- no, or I, woman. I'm ready. I'm ready for and Meryl Streep in a role <laughs> that will inspire you. That music was used so much, and I it has oh. to have been used somewhere in a better trailer parody because I steal it all the time. Anyway, Dragon the Bruce Lee story. It's number one at the box office this week, but Dave comes. Dave's gunning for it because Dave is going to be a big, big hit far beyond Dragon the Bruce Lee story. But that the the appetite for seeing a, a good Bruce Lee biography is there, and it's a wonder to me no one's tackled this again. And th- I bet, I bet someone in the Asian film market has tackled this a thousand times, and we just haven't seen it. But like... Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you don't know? In China probably doesn't want to touch a Hong Konger. Right. Probably doesn't want to well. detail certain parts of the backstory. But it, the my my favorite parts of his story include... Mostly stuff that happened on these shores anyway. So I think it's up to us. Um, yeah. Anyway, moving to television of 1993. Filled with some more j- things just as notable, such as beginning in 1989, Quantum Leap says goodbye this week. And you take issue with this promo, JR? I do. It has turned my TV into a box of lies. <laughs> <laughs> Next, it's the leap you've been waiting for for years. The final leap. This is where it all started. Now, all your questions will be answered. You are the one who's been leaving me. Come back one last time to see how it all ends. I want to go home. The Final Leap at its original time on NBC Next. (laughs) Lies! Is this the final leap? No! Sam never leaps home, okay? Will this answer all your questions? No! This raises even more questions! (laughs) I think we've... We famously brought this up a couple times because the show didn't know it was being canceled and had been promising some kind of finale in the show just as the nature of the overarching narrative. And they didn't give us one. And and of all the shows, you've seen a ton of shows with big big fandoms canceled for ratings. One, this promo teases it's not being played its regular time enough that it's jumping around. (laughs) And and then two, why not? you know what we got special for you? The scheduled time. How crazy <laughs> yeah. is that? And then why not have a TV movie or so? There's we talked about plenty of the shows that get TV movie follow-ups. Why not plan on that for Quantum Leap? Peace the fans. Follow it up. Didn't it get the ratings we wanted? Let's give it a TV movie. And uh. I mean, five years was not a bad run, no. but they were really hoping for a sixth season and you can completely see it in this episode this episode is not intended as a finale and it is intended to make things bigger okay Mm -hmm. this has the episode where sam leaps into himself which is completely against all the quantum leap rules he leaps into his full-grown body on the day of his birth and he's at a weird bar that seems to be a nexus of space and time there's Yeah, there's people from past Quantum Leaps who don't really remember being the person Sam 
remembers them being. There's a separate leaper in this bar doing his own thing that Sam has not the leaper to fix this issue. And the bartender keeps giving super mysterious comments that seem like he knows the secret. Hmm. And <laughs> then we have Sam talk to him like this. Nice. To put right what once went wrong? Yes. But not one life at a time. Oh, I got Mother Teresa here. Do you really think that all you've done is change a few lives? Basically, yes. At the risk of overinflating your ego, Sam, you've done more. The lives you've touched, touched others. And those lives, others. You've done a lot of good, Sam Beckett. And you can do a lot more. Wow. That yeah. is, that's a tremendous <laughs> responsibility to foist on a character five years in. Like, you don't, heard of the butterfly effect? You've done that for 200 episodes. <laughs> it's just so many people. You've made the but world that, better. That has stuck with me for 30 years. Mm -hmm. The idea that when you help someone, you're not just helping them. You're helping everyone they will go on to help because yeah. you help them. It, it's, is, it's the opposite line of, of toxicity. Shittiness breeds more toxicity between people. Yeah. Kind, the kindness um, you show, if it's emulated, ripples throughout time, yo. And, and Exactly. Once again, I'm and, waiting for JR to check out the new Quantum Leap show, because allegedly they keep teasing there'll be some... But I haven't read anything about it, so I'm not sure that they've done it yet. Um, travel back in time to 1993, 2003, and 2013 and have them make no media during those weeks <laughs> and I'll have time to check out Quantum Leap. What a terrible fan, ep fan, fan fiction episode for JR. Yeah. No Stephen King docuseries this week. JR just got to watch... Uh, yeah, an entire network season of Quantum Leap. 20 episodes. <laughs> is is it an accomplishment or not that I recognize the voice of the, hey, it's that guy playing the bartender? Oh, you do? It's an accomplishment. Thank you. I was like, that sounds like Bruce McGill. Yeah, that's Bruce McGill. Cool. He's a total, hey, it's that guy. Well, I was segueing into uh, the, the, oh, you can go ahead. Yeah, anything else on Quantum uh, Leap, Jeremy? I got a lot more on oh, Quantum Leap. Like, kick yeah. back, uh, get a soda, do do <laughs> your laundry. Okay. Quantum Leap was Baby JR's favorite show. Mm -hmm. And it's only re-examining it as an adult that I realize it's a show about constantly helping people. You know, hmm. when I play a video game in a world without consequences, my ultimate power fantasy is to go around helping as many people as I can. Mm. And having Sam jump from person to person, it's it's basically a scientific version of touched by an angel. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's going in, he's helping people. He's making the world a better place. And I, I loved it so much as a kid. Um, I loved it so much. In fact, that one time uh, my dad called me while I was watching it and I said, dad, I'll call you back. I'm watching quantum leap. And then I hung up and I never called him back and he got pissed. <laughs> Why are you choosing this TV show over talking to me? And I was like, Oh, sorry, dad. It was quantum leap. I don't care about quantum leap. <laughs> <laughs> but the show spoke to me. I love the idea of helping people and just having that ripple and spread and keep spreading. Mm. And the ending is completely divisive among Quantum Leap fans. Yeah. There's a lot of people who really hate the fact that Sam never went home. Is lost and forever. I was, oh, that's right. Because they don't they don't just not follow up on it. They put a no. texting they put, to add went finality. Home to his home planet yeah. text. Right. It, <laughs> the, the final text of the series is Sam never leaped home. And it's just like Wow. Why did you even have to include that? I think you're I seeing mean, anger. Closure. You're, ang you're seeing anger on the producer's part. Like, 
fine. Yeah. No last season. Mm-hmm. That's what you get. We're gonna we're gonna tank the last it happened in Planet of the Apes too, where they destroy the whole world. Fuck you guys. Yeah. Slam the door in the series. Yeah. Or so, you'd think that they would want to leave it open just in case. Yeah, they bring mm-hmm. him back for some TV movies or something. But no. Fuck you. See, I, I haven't seen the new series, but if you want to fix that, you have the episode start with the title screen that ended the ser- previous series where it says sam beckett never leaped home and then in fades in the words until mm. dot 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 mm. ah, like a six feet under episode we just talked about yeah um i see tweet at me if i should watch the new quantum leap series yes i never watched this but it was sort of a punchline in summer camp the tommy knockers the latest stephen king miniseries because it sounds name. like it's dirty it, it does but also like tommy hilfiger was rising, so we started calling Tommy Hilfiger stuff Tommy Knockers, or I think even ripoffs, uh. Tommy Knockoffs, or Tommy Knockers. Uh, uh-huh. Tommy Knockers. So the Onion once wrote an article which pretended that Stephen King never remembered writing the Tommy Knockers. Mm-hmm. He was just like, "Did I write that? I don't remember writing that." That was a joke, but. Stephen King has admitted that due to his alcoholism in the early 80s, there are entire books he does not remember writing. He has no memory of writing Cujo at all. It's just like, nope, I don't remember a thing about this. I have that with a Uh, handful of podcasts, but they're not getting optioned for fucking (laughs) movie franchises. But the Tommyknockers are aliens and not even interesting ones. Uh, It's sci-fi. King is not that great with sci-fi honestly Mm. with the Mm. sole exception of the jaunt which is literally the scariest sci-fi story i have ever read ever if you want a scientific scare read the jaunt other than that stephen king hasn't done good sci-fi. last thing we covered with aliens and stephen king was one of the worst movies i've ever seen (laughs) yep dreamweaver people uh, well, uh, soothe yourself with Omar Epps, Martha Plimpton, Cuba Gooding Jr., Moira Kelly, and the HBO movie Daybreak. Does this... this does not sound soothing at all. No. <laughs> no, this sounds incredibly unsoothing because it's pretty much, uh, what if we treated people with AIDS like they're less than human and we put them in like concentration camps? And... Oh. Yeah. This never happened. If the epidemic doesn't get them. You know the stuff they keep telling us about the quarantine? It's all lies. The government will. Man, this looks cheap, but like, <laughs> wow, 1993 might... HBO does not want you to obey the government's quarantine rules. It no. might it might resonate They're a little harder post uh, quarantine slash current LGBT harassment. Yeah, there you could see in the trailer there they got tattooed Scarlet Flair let's say mm. uh, on them heavy heavy daybreak baby i'd never heard of it no me neither i'd never heard of it but what i did hear of i think i'm right <laughs> in the midst of my tape snl every week Wait, watch it over can and over i break again. can i bring us to this yeah so is there everyone at home if you're an snl fan do the words christina applegate is hosting mean anything special to you will she maybe appear in a sketch that you'll see over and over and over and wonder oh Christina Applegate's here. I guess she was hosting, but that's not the important thing. That is distracting you. It's a good episode, but why you'll see Christina, who hasn't aged at all, by the way, looks exactly the same. Ugh, the first ever sketch featuring, I he'll probably introduce himself, right? My name is Matt Foley, and I am a motivational speaker. First off, 
I am 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. <laughs> I remember how uproarious this character was to little kids and adults when it first came out because I showed my parents the sketch. Amazing. Quoting for weeks after this. Yep. This is 1993. Yeah. We didn't VCR it. We didn't, you know, play it on uh, clips for, on our phones. We just watched it one time. And yet everyone at school knew to quote that an infinite number of times for the next months. I don't live in a world where I have paper, but for a long time when we did, I heard you've been rolling, using your paper for rolling doobies. Like we've just <laughs> would quote this sketch written almost entirely by Bob Odenkirk. He calls this the greatest thing he's ever brought life to. And it was a character Chris Farley had improvised on the second city stage. And he's like, I got something. And he went home. I think he came up with the motivational speech character after Chris Farley had already like created the voice and the energy. And Robert Smigel says he, I only added him falling through the table. That is all we added. This killed at second city over the summer and SNL basically got the character forever. And it might be Chris Farley's most enduring SNL character, despite so many funny characters during his reign. Yeah. Well, can you imagine someone else doing this? No, no, no. no. It's just that my, my problem with, with Chris Farley characters is how many of them, I feel like the punchline is fatty fall down. Yes. And that makes me sad because he has more to offer. And I feel like you get the balance right here on this one. His physicality is so good. The way he keeps, he's leaning over a lot, but he keeps hiking his pants up. And the way his so voice good. cracks at just the right moments. Shut your totally big yapper. I feel me. like he said that in 11 other roles. It's said here <laughs> pretty famously, dad, I'd like you to shut your big yapper. <laughs> <laughs> This is a masterclass on how to give a thousand percent. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you watch <laughs> this man become Matt Foley, mm -hmm. okay, he is that man in that moment. He commits to it with all of his heart, and it's it's a ridiculous amount of energy. I mean, you can watch him do that fall again and again and again, and yeah, every time it's a killer. And you know what is really fun? Watch David Spade as they are trying do not crack up at Chris Farley because he is rocking it on next level. It's it's their Tommy Boy dynamic playing out on screen for you. Because, like, David Spade has never had more time to talk since they started that podcast with Dana Carvey. But Lauren Michaels is like, can you just commission a movie with their dynamic, like David Spade and Chris Farley? That's how Tommy Boy started. Because Chris Farley loved fucking with David on and off stage. And this is him. He's delivering spitting... <laughs> wet lines into his face until he can't bear it anymore. And, and <laughs> you know, I think Chris Farley is the SNL alumni. I most like hearing stories. Yeah. about. Like I can mm -hmm. just listen to stories of his days on SNL and always have a smile on my face. Yeah, Even when he's taking a shit out of a window or <laughs> out jer <the> window. <laughs> jerking off on a, on, on a magazine featuring someone's girlfriend and then telling them about it. Uh, they're all, it's all ridiculous links. He goes to entertain his friends. Did that. Everybody's Chris Farley stories are awesome. And I think there's, Oh no, that, that show. If you have never listened to a fly on the wall, the Dana Carvey, David Spade show, they, for their like hundredth episode, they just got everybody they knew to give Chris Farley stories from like Al Franken, the Sandler. It's brand new Chris Farley stories. Conan O'Brien. I think it's a two-parter. It's a two-parter. It's gold. It. I listen to it, and it. Our podcast is the best. Give us the money; they don't need it. But <laughs> I think that's the best podcast I've listened to all year. I think it's a terrible podcast. I'm that, talking about that episode. I know. I know. Farley. I know. It's just that, like they're like 
I love Dana Carvey and David Spade and their strengths are in different areas, but they just are so meandering and like, Jesus Christ, you have a former Senator Conan O'Brien on focus, focus on SNL. <laughs> and they don't, but uh, per episode, there's like eight stories I've never heard before. Some Someone, Robert, Jim Downey telling the story of the head of NBC having to leave Norm's basic interview for Weekend Update to go visit OJ in jail is a story I'd never heard before. Uh, like, because I always thought that was kind of a rumor that the NBC executive was good friends with OJ. It was not. It was a very biased thing on his part. Anyway, but again, written by Bob Odenkirk. I don't think I any think... other Matt Foley sketch captures the magic of this one. And no. I like recurring no. sketches. I mean, there, are, there are eight total. Yeah. Eight. Well, and I, they're... The I, gag is always the same, whether I, it's in Spanish or not. I never heard that until I heard Cecily Strong say it like, yeah, you don't do that many recurring characters. And she's like, yeah, YouTube kind of made that less of a necessity. Because if you think this mm. is something that blows the roof off and you can't see it until a rerun, you have to make another one before <laughs> the rerun. And most people do a reoccurring sketch when they come back to host or something. A lot of There's not a lot of recurring characters and they, they appear every few years most of the time. Yeah, a lot of Matt Foley stuff, nothing, they tried to make the fall more elaborate every time. And I'm remembering the Martin Lawrence one where he drives a recumbent bike slowly through a wall. And like, that wasn't very good. Anyway, anyway, Matt Foley, one of the greatest SNL characters, one of the greatest Chris Farley characters, one of the greatest SNL moments is 30 years old. Games of 1993, the Turbo Duo CD. Is this the, is it, it's rebranded for us this week or released in America this week? It's released in America as one system. The right. Turbo Duo CD is both the CD and the Turbo Duo. Turbo graphics. Yeah. yeah, Turbo graphics combined into one thing. So Turbo Duo CD. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was... Pricey. $299.99. That's $600 in today's money. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's up there. Yeah, That is up there. They tried to put in a bunch of CDs to get you to buy it. A coupon book where you could get those future games when they came out. Wow. Didn't work. No one remembers this except for their ad man. It is widely considered as one of the worst mascots in all of gaming <laughs> history. Johnny Turbo. Johnny Turbo. I always thought this was a parody of mascots. I didn't (laughs) know he is real. Johnny Turbo is all too real. Because, you know, if you're trying to sell a $600 system, would you advertise in magazines, television shows, Mm -hmm. you know, a variety of platforms, set up kiosks so people can play these games? Or throw caution to the wind go all in on a comic book ad that attacks your rivals at every opportunity like this. It's someone reading the comic book. They got every kid in this city convinced that the Faker CD game system is the only one in town. Well, is there anything we can do to stop them? I'm not sure, but I've got to do something to loosen their grip off the minds of the public. Out in the streets, kids are flocking to buy what they think is the first CD game system available. Yes, kids. That's right. Our system is the first ever CD game system on the market. Wow. What a crazy marketing <laughs> tactic. They're lying about being the first. I mean, maybe if you live in maybe. Japan. I, I bought a Sega CD, people, and I don't recall like any advertisement saying it's the first. I like, remember reading a great article about what are the NEC, the Turbo Graphics Division in America. That was kind of a shit show. They might have been the first in Japan. 
where things went a little better. They got an exclusive Street Fighter. None of that mirrored over here because we got our gaming technology a little later. Still were at this point. Because we're still getting Nintendo games and Genesis games while the Super Nintendo and Sega CD are out, given how long it took to localize things. I just don't get it. Bonk was the only game that ever made me want to get a TurboGrafx CD. And do you, I don't get why they didn't keep that as a mascot instead of Johnny Turbo, who's basically an internet guy from 2023 yeah. transported to 1990. Don't you yeah, want to see justice in what corporation you support with $300? <laughs> no. He's, he's a chunky guy in like green combat onesie with some sort of vest over it and a neck beard and a red baseball cap. I am 90% sure I saw him January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> they, they based he him. He is dressed of like the, the Oath Keepers. <laughs> they based him off of like their PR guy. They like cared so little about this campaign. They weren't like, we're going to make a heroic mascot. They're just like, hey, PR guy, we're going to draw a chunky character with a neck beard. <laughs> just like you. Oh, it's a great idea, boys. You all get races. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. just remember reading about the the American the North American team operating in a small office in California and having to compete with something so huge like the Sega and Nintendo. It was just so difficult and they were underfunded and getting things so slowly and had no no idea what was coming or the quality control. It was a rough go. Uh, but the Turbo Graphics is a fascinating history. A great headquarters in Japan with a working, moving locomotive train that you could sit on. But uh, also out this week are some Genesis games such as MiG-29 Fighter Pilot, what I'm, I'm going to guess is a side-scroller. Fight. As far <laughs> as I can tell, this is the best 16-bit flight sim ah. that was ever made. But who wants to play a 16-bit flight sim? Especially when you're Sega and own Afterburner. What the hell? Rolling Thunder 3. Man, that franchise went downhill real fast. Yeah, you know, uh, there's an officially sanctioned webcomic, <laughs> Rapid Thunder, that continues the plot. Thank so you. for all you Rolling Thunder fans who didn't think you uh, got closure with 3, with apparently it's time. official. Jesus Christ. And Blaster Master 2, the actual sequel to Blaster Master, arrives on Genesis. Yeah, confusing. you know... I I have very fond memories of Blaster Master 1 mm -hmm. because one of my next door neighbor's friends had it and I didn't. So anytime I wanted to play it, I had to go over to his house and, you know, there's that bonding experience oh, that yeah. goes down. But I tried this game and I don't know. It didn't feel like it had the magic of one to me. It's it's strange. Uh, hate talking about Blaster. I have the book sequel upstairs that I got a year or two ago. I haven't read it yet. But when they localize it for America, instead of being like a balls out space adventure, it starred a boy, a white boy, just like you and me, Jr., who chased a frog and became the Blaster Master. And I think this series doesn't address that at all because that was just something America did to localize it. I'm not saying that make made or break it, but your official sequel being on another platform is kind of like, you're depending on children to have hundreds of dollars here. Yeah. I think they should go back to Johnny Turbo because every mascot should look like the guy you buy shrooms from. <laughs> he should, he should be the, the guy uh, scalping you uncle cracker tickets. And, and, <laughs> And like, how dumb is it? <laughs> and, I thought it was a parody. I think I've seen Sean Baby make fun of it like a million times. Probably have. <laughs> um, oh my God, why? I, now I want Johnny Turbo, 
30 years later. And it's Johnny as like, I'm guessing a 63 year old at this point. Yeah. And people just go up to him and he's like, I wasted my life on the turbo Ugh. graphics in its CD system. Sold all my Sony stuff. Why did I care so much? <laughs> I was supposed to be Johnny Maximum for Sony. Anyway, anyway, a light comic book news. What do we have here, JR? I'm confused. Oh. So Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud is one of the seminal works on understanding the comic medium. Mm. It is a very long essay on how comics are made, how to think about comics, how to read the tricks comics use, why comics are an important medium, why art is important in life. It had my very first exposure to This Is Not a Pipe. It had a comic after comic of him saying, do you see this? What is it? Is it a pipe? No, it's a painting of a pipe. Actually, it's a photograph of a painting of a pipe. Actually, it's a <laughs> photograph of a painting of a pipe copied six times. Do you hear what I'm saying? No. If so, check your ears because I haven't said a word. And that <laughs> blue 14-year-old JR's mind. Whoa, this art form that I've been consuming my entire memory as a human being, it has tricks and stuff I wasn't aware of. Yeah. Still holds up today. I, I highly recommend it. it. It's, this it's, is just a quick bit from it. You see, the farther you move along the spectrum of abstraction, from photo to simple smiley face, the more people an image describes. A photo can only really be one person, but two dots and a line? Well, that's everyone. We spend our lives looking at other faces, but aside from pictures and mirrors, we rarely see our own. Our mental image of ourselves isn't photoreal. It's abstract. It resembles a cartoon. McLeod believes that this explains our fascination with cartoons. When we see one, we fill in its blanks with ourselves. Hmm. That's, that's from a video just about why is why are Nagel prints in every hair salon? Mm, yeah. Good question. <laughs> and and it, I think. Yeah, because they're abstract, but also specific. I got to see so many divergent mediums sort of meant for kids and then reevaluated intellectually when those kids become adults. And I'm currently, fa I, I grew up in this like comics deserve respect period of the 90s. But like I'm right now I'm fascinated with, all right, now wrestling people are going to start talking about how the how the sausage was made when back when they couldn't. And it's fucking fascinating all the time. How cartoons I, are made. It, I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's my favorite sub, sub, sub genre of the internet right now. 1993 music. Let's close out with that. May 5th through the 11th. Freak Me by Silk is still number one. But you got new releases from uh, With Fear, I Kissed the Burning Darkness by At The Gates. The self-titled debut of Rancid. Finally, an album I owned. Uh, Out of Body by The Hooters, uh, Symphony or Dam by Terrence Trent Darby, Tell Me Why by Winona Judd, and whatever, the solo debut of Amy Mann. We're going to close out with For Tomorrow by Blur off of the album My Life is Rubbish. But don't move. we got some real fun stuff to talk about in 2003. Shake.
that thing, miss. Can I, can I shake that thing, miss? Hannah better shake that thing, yeah. Donna, Donna, Jordi and Rebecca, woman, get busy. Just shake that booty non-stop when the beat drop. Just keep swinging it, get jiggy. Get drunk, up, percolate, anything you want, call it hostility if I don't take pity. Coming to 2003 with Get Busy by Sean Paul, as it is number one this week. Uh, we also have new releases from, guess what, Blur, who took us out of the 90s. They're back in the 2000s. Never really go away. Welcome to the Monkey House by the Dandy Warhols. Good uh, Kurt Vonnegut reference there. Committed to a Bright Future by Dog Fashion Disco. DBGC, uh, You Know What I'm Throwing Up by Daz Dillinger. Electric Version by the New Pornographers. On and On by Jack Jackson. Take This to Your Grave, the debut of Fallout Boy and... We've Come For You All by Anthrax. I almost read that as Al. A truly big news segment here with some stuff I didn't know and love talking about. Not necessarily the first one. Uh, 2003, week of May, uh, May 5th through the 11th, 59 Democratic lawmakers bring the Texas legislature to a standstill, the Texas legislature to a standstill, I'm not drunk, by going into hiding in a dispute over Republican uh, congressional redistricting, redistricting <laughs> plans. I remember this. It was like this Texas state troopers had orders to arrest the Texas legislator and bring them back in handcuffs if needed. But yeah, it was just another redistricting thing. That's what it came down to. Uh, Where are the lines going to be? Otherwise known as one of the only ways conservatives can win elections nowadays. Uh, That's exactly what it was. By redrawing fractals in our map. Um, Yeah, they redrew the map in goofy ways. Some of it seemed to be race based which is illegal or was and uh <sighs> and eventually but there's a bunch of lawsuits and they get to the supreme court which sides with the republican gerrymander because no. everything is terrible i <laughs> always want more re- legislators to do this like don't let them have quorum flee the state mm. flee the state make sure they can't get anything done it do didn't it. work yeah, yeah they, they fed the state and nothing got accomplished by doing that yeah, but now you could fake covid hmm yeah. <laughs> for the shot carol channing at 80 82 marries harry coolijan uh, a guy she met in middle school and reconnected with 70 70 years later they st- stayed married until her death in 2011 that's a nice aw story yeah that's such a cute story you know i go through looking for like celebrity marriages and divorces and that one just got a big aw kind of like it when i hear those stories and maybe not kind of relate to my personal dating issues oh i'm dating someone i knew in middle school now weird yeah. that didn't work but yeah. uh do that do that when you're 82 see how it works right exactly after retro you're... dating is the way to go yep. yeah i this stunned me i had no idea steven soderbergh marries e-reporter jules asner and they're still together i know exactly who jules asner what the mm-hmm. fuck i had no idea they were married how did they even meet <laughs> I... well he's He's a famous director and she's an e-reporter. I'm sure that's how they met. I mean, you think they have... Jules Asner was just like a pretty, like, you know, charismatic, pretty talking head on E! News. I never imagined her, like, having a conversation with Steven Soderbergh, let alone living together for 20 years. Had no idea. Had no idea. So, what? yeah, I figured he would just seduce a young actress on his set, but no. No, too cool for that. (laughs) Too cool for that. Uh, The many, this is something near and dear to me, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh opens at Disneyland. Oh, what happened to the country bears? They murdered them all. This is the one that got rid of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. What? No. no. They never yeah. do that at Disneyland. No, I don't believe they did. No. Oh, am I thinking of the wrong one? You are. Maybe. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of Disney World. Yeah. Uh, you are. Okay. You are. But 
Because because uh, uh, we still have country bears in Disney World. Mm. I just saw a costume character, which I couldn't believe still existed either. But uh, they replaced in Critter Country the country bears, which really was, if I'm being honest, that feels like a kind of a regional thing they made for the South. I don't see Diana and the L.A. crowd getting bowled over by a bunch of bears blowing in a blowing in a jugs and playing playing banjos, blood on the dance floor. Really a ride, is it? It's like a show. No, it's it's a dark room. It's ride. a dark ride. You know, it, it's where you go around. And I can tell you, this has the best cue in Disney. It mm. has so many little fun activities because this is a little kids ride. Right. So they really try to make the queue entertaining. It can be like a 45 minute wait. But as you're walking up that thing, there's, there's tons of stuff. Going they do on. that a lot more now with rides. There's a ton of that mm-hmm. in the Snow White dwarf cart train. Suck it, Anaheim. You didn't get that. I understand what my dilemma is. I love Winnie the Pooh. And I went on this ride. I'm like, this sucks. It is cheap <laughs> and boring. and But it is it is for little kids. And Disney had kind of five-year-olds loved it. Disney had kind of made a tradition out of some of its other rides, like Mr. Toad and Snow White, being scary as absolute shit, and and having to change (laughs) those over the years. So I understand needing a happy medium. Why make Pooh in any way an intense ride for anybody? You don't need to make a good Winnie the Pooh ride for my demographic. I'm not mad about it. I just love Winnie the Pooh, and I hate the ride. I think it's very boring. Lastly, the last thing I wanted to mention, this was another one of my stupid rabbit hole things. I saw an article published around this week about a surprising new trend in toys, and that is the bobblehead. Ah. The bobblehead enters ubiquity around this time, and I'm saying around this time is in like years, because the bobblehead has existed for 150 years. (laughs) But what they, only like 10 years ago, they discovered like, hey, we can make this out of plastic. And making it out of plastic gave it that Happy Meal toy quality, like it's an inanimate thing that does one thing. (laughs) And they could also figure out, we can make this shit hollow. What? We can make it hollow. So we save money on plastic. So bobbleheads were ceramic throughout my parents' entire lifetime. And then, uh, what was it? Baseball teams would start giving away Mm -hmm. bobbleheads. And they became incredibly popular. And then I found this out because I fucking hate bobbleheads. (laughs) <laughs> the the changing of the desk real estate. I always say when I first would go into my parents' offices, nobody was using computers. And then eventually computers came in and in most government offices, you'd have a desktop on, your whole desk is taken up with shit. So you had mm-hmm. to kind of reframe where you put stuff because the pictures of your family were too big. And they started making little cute things to pick you up during the day. And bobbleheads became this huge thing on computers to now where like uh, pops are only now declining, but because of Disney licensing, when they made all those Marvel and Star Wars pop, I had a was dating a girl who collected S- Star Wars pops. I'm like, why? Why do you, do you only get the bobblehead ones? And she's like, uh, all Star Wars pops are bobbleheads. To not interfere with other licensing, Disney had to make I at least all Star Wars character pops bobbleheads. So they all are bobbleheads. Huh. You cannot get a, a pop Star Wars figure that is not a bobblehead. And Mm -hmm. so there are more bobbleheads in our lives as a result than ever before. And this is a trend that starts mostly in plastic and then baseball 20 years ago to the point where like when you Google bobblehead, the first thing that comes up, it's one of the first toys you can get custom made in your image because of how easy Mm -hmm. they are to produce. And again, they do one thing. They're better than they're cheaper to produce than a solid plastic thing. They're hollow. 
and you can customize them. They become huge, and they're everywhere. The fucking bobblehead. The rise of the bobblehead <laughs> is 20 years old. Oh, why did I spend an hour reading about bobbleheads? I I, <laughs> I did it researching the, the Star Wars and Marvel Pops. That I, I hate bobbleheads. I want something to just sit there and not move. And some of my favorite characters are like, hate it. The point of the bobblehead is to put it in your car. Right. So it bounces around when you drive. Where it had existed forever. But I was shocked to learn yeah. that it was mostly ceramic for a really long time. Because yep. other than. True. I found old ones and it's like, well, you're going to lose an eye when you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you hit something in your car. Yeah, but you'll probably pole. die anyway because you'd be like impaled on the steering column. So who cares if, you know, your poodle bouncing around kills something? Right. If something's colliding with the middle of your windshield, you're probably dead. It's probably yeah. a lamp pole or something in a Bruckheimer movie. Anyway, moving on to movies of 2003. X-Men 2, X-Men, X2, X-Men United. I hate that title. Is still number one. And we sing its praises in last week's episode. Another So for the new movies, we have... Colin Firth, Heather Graham, and Mini Driver in Hope Springs. I Everything I read about this is like, this is a very charming, very average rom-com. Who will Colin I date? Firth. I have no idea. Yeah, Colin Firth is charming, and he like moves to a small town full of eccentric people and is trying to pull his life together because he's, I think he's an artist. He's painting people in the town, and then he starts his relationships. And, oh, it's just so gentle and so charming and just a date movie, and it's fine. And it's fine. But. And it's fine. Exceedingly fine. Might be my favorite of this entire subgenre. This is a tough debate for me. Yeah, it is for me too. But also, I have to correct you. You said there is a trilogy. There is. Mockumentaries. There are four. I know, but one is directed this is the by third one. One is directed by Rob Reiner and is a. No, you've got another one wrong. I you know. I know about mascots as well. No, I'm not talking about mascots. I'm talking about for your consideration. That's not a mockumentary. Yes, it is. No, it's not. That is. I think it is. It's not. Go look it up. It's it's not a mockumentary. It's shot like a movie. Mm. It's it is improvised. It it's not a mockumentary. And I didn't include Spinal Tap because like right, you could absolutely count it. But like this trilogy of every couple of years, we got this amazing Christopher Guest movie. It really does culminate yeah. here, and it gets revisited. Most people are shocked. There's two sequels to this with the same cast. One is not a mockumentary for your consideration, and and one is just forgotten because it got like quietly launched on Netflix a few years ago about mascots, but it's true to Christopher Guest. Unlike Spinal Tap, it's always about a very, very small, small ecosystem of entertainment where people take it very seriously. That is what's so funny about stuff. Whether it's about, you know, the the small town musical or the dog show or it is a tough call, which is my favorite. This one might be just edging out the other two is my favorite because it is about, a, a real kind of entertainment that was very popular right. for a very tiny period of time. I, I realized nails the details. Rewatching this, having seen it several times, like I think what I think of the folk music industry may have been spoon fed to me from information from this movie, but it is kind of real, even though the players are not. And the players are Ed Bagley Jr., Michael Hitchcock, Jane Lynch, Fred Willard, Parker Posey, Bob Balaban, Harry Shear, Michael McKeon, Eugene Levy, and Catherine O'Hara in A Mighty Wind. We are so excited to be part of this project. Oh, absolutely. It's something of a challenge for me because I don't like folk music. Mm-hmm. Me too. Quick plug, Ola, I'm Mike LaFontaine, owner and founder of High Class Management. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> I had a hit that you might have heard of, Hoodie Leggett, Little Goman, which means How's It Hanging, Grandma. Those are lights hanging up there? Yes, those are lights. Could they and fall? And that's a ceiling above us. 
Excuse me, I must be full. It's <laughs> like that wire. I see a wire. I see a towel. The mighty winds are blowing across the land and across the sea. It's blowing peace and freedom. I feel ready for a voyage on this magnificent vessel. I love Mitch. What if we see sailfish? I had to get it in there. The end of every TV spot and movie trailer somehow snuck in. It's blowing you and me. Just a silly fucking thing. But uh, I think this originated on SNL. Yeah, in like 1985. Yeah, 84. The one, the year uh, Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer were cast members and Michael McKeon was hosting, I think, because he was famous for Laverne and Shirley. And I think they pushed them to do a Spinal Tap reunion and said they opted to create the Folksman. Every spinal 19 t- years from SNL sketch to yeah. movie? They, Is they, that a record? They appeared in other stuff as well. And I think they did... Spinal Tap had several resurrections for generations we're not a part of. And I think they yeah. do a Folksman song live on stage and they had spinal tap at other specials where the folksmen appeared but doing a mockumentary on like this lost subgenre of of folk music was it's heartwarming and i think the one of the only reasons it's better it's like when i watch best in show only the people are funny not necessarily the dogs but like there's songs in here that took time to write and learn how to perform and everybody is performing uh their own vocals and learning either knew how to play an instrument or are learning how to play it so they're not I have way more respect for this because they're not only improvising, <laughs> these people had to learn how to like play songs together for like multiple fake bands and then play a giant song together for this folk reunion that takes place uh, in the early 2000s in this mockumentary from Christopher Guest, A Mighty Wind. I love yeah. A Mighty Wind. It's, yeah, it, it's, it, it does work for a lot of reasons because it is such a very specific thing. Yeah, like dog shows where you understand how all these people of disparate, backgrounds ended up in this one place and yeah there was a big folk boom in the late 50s early 60s where you got you know kingston trio type stuff that was basically destroyed immediately by the beatles showing up and then dylan went electric and then that is the end of that shit but yeah having you know the folksmen who are just you know three older guys and they're just kind of stuffy you know and they're played by the guys from spinal tap and they're just doing their thing they're just happy to be invited and you know they're pretty easy going then you have the new main street singers who are a cult who who open up in my hometown an amusement park i wish we had an amusement park in my hometown directly in front of a roller coaster everyone is screaming makes me so mad they're making fun of our our town for having a small venue like we don't even have that venue (laughs) roller coaster there's no roller coaster here and then you have eugene levy and Catherine o'hara as mitch and mickey who everyone talks about how mitch is this troubled genius and he's so he's left this you know emotional turmoil in his wake and mickey loved him so much and then you meet him and he is just so i guess an acid casualty you call him he's <laughs> It's like you don't see it. Like I don't see the genius. I just see a guy staring off into space, twitching, like what? burnt to a crisp. Uh, I've what seen people like hell? that. It's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen people like that, but you do, and you're usually former musicians from the '60s. Yeah, just you know, her trying to like resolve all their prob- their relationship problems that had lasted for so long, and he's just not getting it. He doesn't get anything. He's oh my. God, he's so funny. And, and that's seriously just Eugene Levy just sitting there with that look on his face. Uh, just cracks uh, me up every time. He looks, he's doing like a Brian Wilson in the, <laughs> in the 90s. And, and part of the reason I love this, because I love the, all these series of movies, but it is like the reunions you wanted to see, the, the Spinal Tap. They've never given you another Spinal Tap movie, even though there sort of has been another Spinal Tap movie. Yeah. There's been some TV specials. There's been some specials. 
but like reuniting them and in my head canon, or at least where I was then, this made me never want to see Eugene Levy without Catherine O'Hara. And <laughs> when you think about them as a couple, when I started watching Shit's Creek, I'm like, yeah, they were together and obsessed with dogs. And then they did some music and broke up and got back together. And then Shit's Creek. And like, no, it just Christopher Guest pairing them together so well, you never really want to see them apart. And I really don't. I, <laughs> I really love those yeah. two as a duo. I know, and they've been at it for more than 40 years yeah. and going back to SCTV mm-hmm. and probably earlier than that, probably Toronto Second City, I'm guessing. I feel like that helps solidify that. And again, it is Christopher Guest taking time off of the mockumentary for a very long time outside of the mascot, it, reminding you mascots exist on Netflix right now. One of these movies you may have never seen, but I, I just think this is kind of the funniest. And I also love Harry Shearer is is back where he hasn't been in a, any big capacity and he's fucking killing it. He's really, you get to see how funny those three are together and how their minds, mm-hmm. how the guy, guys from the original spinal tap work together in a mighty win. So, yep. and there's a trans joke. That's not offensive. Mm-hmm. Really? I'm shocked. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess someone could take it as a eh. offensive, but yeah, I mean, the, the joke for me is that, yeah, Harry Shearer's character of mild spoiler alert comes out as trans at the end. And, point is she's in a group called the folksman and she's the base <laughs> and she still has to do the base parts even though she's dressed as a woman and acting very girlish and like obviously <laughs> living her best life but she still has to hit the notes of e at there i think i i also love christopher guest kind of steers away you get nar- a lot of narcissism, naive narcissism in Spinal Tap, but most every one of his characters are kind of good, nice people, but these are the goodest and the nicest. Yeah. Once popular, they've settled into some form of their lives, and they're, I feel like they're playing much older than they anybody actually is um, hmm. in this, because they're playing people who were popular when they were like teenagers, and Parker Posey wasn't even born. <laughs> the, yeah, that's true. And also, it's nice that in each each different mockumentary you know movie like this different people get you know different standout moments and it just this one makes me so happy where bob balaban of all people yeah gets possibly the best scene that's just him being nervous about everything in a theater (laughs) and it just goes on and on and it's like dude calm the fuck down he's like oh but i worry that this flower arrangement like it could there could be vines growing out of it and it It could make people trip and are those lights secured i mean because if the light fell down someone really really be hurt and it just it feels like a weird digression because the whole thing is about like putting on this big show and i like it kind of needs to be there and just letting Bob Balaban just be the world's most nervous man for over a couple minutes. It's, ah, so I can't good. even describe. Like, it's such a weird standout moment. And everyone else is just singing, they're dancing, they're having a great time. And he's just so worried about these flowers, like they could poke someone. Yeah, I can't, I can't recommend I this it. enough. And I, I, when I watched it a week or two ago, I, this, is a, this is neither here nor there for 30, 2010. But I just, I'm really angry at the amount of ads that have crept into streaming services. Because this was, in a Warner Brothers movie, it's not on HBO Max. It was on one of the free ones, like a Tubi. And it is, it's a movie interrupted abruptly and awkwardly every seven minutes for like a shitload of the exact same things that I'll never buy. I, nah. I I don't need Ozempic. Please stop. I'm not buying this col- this perfume for eight hundred. Why? You, whatever. But like it now, it's not streaming any free anywhere at all as of this point. Nah. So boo. But God, God damn it. I but, do own it on DVD. Yeah, I own it on DVD too. And, and the, the, also, Michael McKeon got an Oscar nomination for this. <laughs> 
Yes. Awesome. For best original song, A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow is an Oscar-nominated song written by Michael McKeon and his lovely wife, Annette O'Toole, who we just talked about a little while ago as the girlfriend in 48 Hours. And, and, and Michael McKeon may be one of like my favorite, most fascinating people in show. He's done so much shit. And for a lot of people remains a, hey, it's that guy. Again, the Folksman started when he hosted SNL. And then 10 years later, he's a cast member on SNL. It's it's one of the weirdest careers I've ever seen. Then it gets Emmy nominated for Better Call Saul, among other things. He's awesome. And every, he's, he's a great actor. Amazing. He's, he's a, an amazing, dramatic actor. I had no idea. I love Michael McKeon so very much. Yeah. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about A Mighty Wind. I didn't bother watching the number one movie of the week 20 years ago because I'd did seen anyone? it before and hated it. JR, did you bother on this one? Why I did you? not bother. I'm sorry. I looked I at it and every fiber of my being went you have a finite time of existence. Do not spend one second watching this film. Yes, because nobody cares what we have to say about Angelica Houston, Regina King, Steve Zahn, Jeff Garland, and Eddie Murphy. That cast in yeah. Daddy Daycare. Charlie Hinton had the perfect life. We're shutting down the whole division. Now, he's setting his sights a little lower. Daycare center. I'll be just as careful with him as I am with Ben. Oh, hey, man, don't be just rubbing your head into stuff. This man. Don't panic, don't panic. Hey! Eddie Murphy. What? Yeah, this is almost uh, like Eddie Murphy's gas yeah. leak years. Like, yeah. what what oh, had that, to happen for us to finally welcome Eddie Murphy back into his true That years? usage mm-hmm. of the murder from Psycho is exactly what Bernard Herrmann wanted <laughs> his legacy to be. Yeah, some little kid shit on the ceiling. It's also, in addition to being like a lazy kind of insipid comedy, just a, its whole premise like men taking care of children. Can you believe it? All right. Can yeah, you yeah. It? So... I spent a total of like two and a half years doing the stay-at-home dad thing. Full-time, right. nothing but stay-at-home dad. Yeah, there's aspects of childcare that suck. I'm not going to lie. But the problems with it are mainly boring problems. Yeah. It's not like it's a quantum equation you have to solve. It's just like, <laughs> well, this kind of sucks, but I'll do it. And then... They're all that kind of things women don't even bother making anecdotes out of anymore, but the movie thought was hysterical if Jeff Garland could... Oh! Oh, the cupcake fell yeah. down. Relax. Man, Take care of it. If You're an adult. I hear a person say, like, if I'm out with one of my friends who's a mom and someone says something about, oh, so dad's babysitting tonight, mm. um, I grab their hair and I drag them outside. <laughs> and then I beat them savagely with my copy of Backlash by Susan Faludi because <laughs> the idea that men aren't caretakers and shouldn't be and that it's like an added job. For them to watch their own fucking kids. Right. I hate that. I, I, I spent so wrong. much of my life, my military grandfather alone taking care of me. I don't know why this is such a wackety schmackety premise. Yeah. Well, so many men took care of me as a kid, a baby alone. What the fuck? It's stupid. It's dumb. Another dumb thing about this film is that all the jokes are very childish, pee pee poo poo mm-hmm. pratfall oh. jokes. Right. All the problems in this film are very adult problems. Losing your job, reinventing yourself, pee-pee-poo-poo joke. (laughs) I don't see how these go together. 
Uh, it is a crying no. shame. Yeah, I'd rather not talk about it, and hopefully we don't have to watch the sequel, which even Eddie Murphy's like, I'm not doing it. Get the boat trip guy. But let's just move into TV, shall we? Which is equally short this week. 2003 TV, uh, May 5th through the 11th. I looked up the TV ratings just because it had concrete numbers on what most people were watching, and it's like far and away CSI followed shortly by American Idol and Survivor. Those, to me... Oh, Remember back when that felt like summer stuff, when the summer came around, that's when reality shows started to like really rear yep. up and become yep. huge rating winners? Because yeah, all our regular TV folk are home. All our actors are home. Let's get some non-actors involved. And uh, ER at fourth. It, it, it also said to me the, the, ri- the rise of CBS, because everybody loves Raymond is beating friends right now. And that's got to oh. be due to the strength hmm. of something like CSI at the top. And Friends Friends and Raymond are shows we're more likely to talk about on the show, but they're like 5 million viewers behind all those shows we just talked about. And we probably won't mention that much because we weren't watching them. And don't yeah. really... Yeah. I watched the first season of Survivor, and I loved it. But every season after that, I was just like, well, I already saw one. I don't need this again. I'm surprised it's still on twice a year. It's like it's like Cheap. A Survivor in its 30th season. What? The show's 20 years old. How'd you do that? Oh. Right, yep. it's cheap. That's how you do two seasons a year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I occasionally watch CSI, occasionally watch uh, ER, American Idol. I think it might be next year. I start watching it, but I just watch the performances. I would tape it and fast forward through anything that involves talking or backstory or judges. It's like, I just want to see the singing people and how well they sing. And I watched it for a couple of years like that. And even then I was like, okay, I'm bored with this too. I very curiously the other day, I was curious about the cancellation of Tosh.0 and Paramount Plus added the season. And mm. it's, it's Comedy Central canceled during the pandemic almost everything that wasn't like a daily show or uh, that had human beings in it. Because all that stuff you see coming to streaming services, Beavis and Butthead, that was supposed to be on Comedy Central exclusively because that's what they were bringing back because they could make it during the pandemic. And Tosh.0 is can- the whole season is kind of shot without a live audience and they constantly acknowledge they're getting canceled and they're like comedy central second highest rated show. And they're definitely going to another network and no news of that has happened, but they do a reunion of people they talked about on, you know, like viral people they've done interviews with. And Hmm. Daniel Tosh just casually throws out like, doesn't matter. You can, these people are the chocolate rain guy. Like all these people are more famous than any American idol winner you've ever heard. (laughs) <laughs> that's ever happened like yeah that's true the internet sort of became like if we're really gonna like find someone who's great at music or mock someone who's really bad at music that's the internet i don't know mm. i don't know the generation of people who's still watching american idol anyway they brought it back and it seems to be doing well but i do have a, a two-word rebuttal the old kelly clarkson kelly clarkson yeah who didn't win she didn't she, no she, she did won. win she did win she's the first yeah, winner she right she's a first winner yes another show i wish i knew more about but couldn't get into for some reason after loving buffy is this the final season of angel this is the second to final season okay Okay. this is the final episode of season four for angel buffy's going to be canceled soon but angel is going to get another season in my opinion the fifth is the best one yeah okay and this this episode is setting the stage for season five because the previous episode the penultimate episode was the finale it was when they defeated the big bad it was when they resolved all the plot lines of the previous season this episode is solely a pitch to studio executives this is why you should give us a fifth season yeah and the reason you should give them a fifth season is because they are taking over the 
corporation that had caused them all the problems in seasons one to through four. Seasons one right. through four, it's Angel's Battle with Wolfram and Hart, an ALA branch of the evil powers that be that's a law firm, but really it's a bunch of more evil shenanigans stuff. And in this episode, Angel and Co. take it over. They run it. It's now theirs. Buffy was always an examination in a goofy supernatural setting of how do you deal with the troubles of high school and college? How do you deal with being physically mature, but not an adult? Until the angel, quit. yeah, <laughs> angel should have been about now that you're an adult, what do you do with the compromises? all adults make with right. the world. And that's all of season five. Season five, I'm going to bring up a bunch of great episodes, but season five is when they have to make moral compromises, ambiguity. It's not a clear-cut decision. Is, is this a good thing? Is it the least bad thing? Or are we being bad by always doing the least bad thing? That's sort of, and, in conversations with friends, I was getting through Buffy and then going to get to Angel, which... They're kind of meant to be watched simultaneously together because they overlap a little bit. Mm -hmm. They can be enjoyed separately. But like, I thought the consensus was Angel sort of, it wasn't as strong a ratings winner as Buffy and Buffy was canceled. So like, they kind of knew the end was coming. So it's like, either we need to make something with some finality or get very serious. So like the last season is everybody who loves the Whedon verse, which, you know, whatever we know, I know, says it's among the best things they've ever done. Because uh, yeah. they kind of knew, like, it, it, we need to start acting like we're wrapping things up or dealing with some kind of finality here. Whereas Buffy kind of just, for lack of a better word, treads water until the end, the writing is on the wall. But Angel sort of has, it's leading towards the end of something in both season four and five. Mm -hmm. And I've always, I, I have it on standard definition DVD. And I just, I never loved the Angel character that much. And uh, hmm. I don't know when it's supposed to kick in, but man, yeah, I'd love Here's, to do the JR20. I'm going to make the pitch to you. Hmm. Started season five. Chris. Okay. Just skip seasons one through four. You've already got all you need to know at this point. You know, mm -hmm. Angel's a vampire. You know, he's had some drama and he just took over the big bads organization. You know he what? is now there's running a, the organization. There's a Zelda game coming out and I might need something to play in an iPad. There <laughs> so you I go. Dump dozens of hours into that game. This could happen. But yeah, Angel, Angel season finale season four, one of our biggest highlights of two. 2003, especially among the shows I just mentioned to you, which I wasn't watching. I didn't have cable at this point, so uh, I wasn't really watching much. Yeah, well, it's May. We're going to start getting into the, the season finales and mm. some series finales. Mm. Oh, no. And uh, then in games, lots of interesting stuff here. Uh, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow for GBA. Like, kind of a weird second, for people who were there, a second... <sighs> A second renaissance for the Castlevania series. There were all these console games that weren't really pleasing Castlevania fans while simultaneously on handhelds were these advanced Metroidvanias, coining the term as they went, revitalizing the series into something, a really cool 2D game series. I am blown away. The GBA games are rock Amazing. solid. They're very fun to dip into. I wish I was a free time millionaire because yeah. you could sink some time to this. I did find it interesting looking at it as the Castlevania series as the whole, I feel like the shift from 1930s Universal Monsters mm -hmm. to anime is complete with this game. <laughs> like the, mm -hmm. the 1930s Universal thing, gone. They are just straight on anime here going forward. It is also set in 2035. Yes. So you could call it 
Drac to the future. It, it's I always think of this of this. <laughs> I always think of this as the second to last game because <laughs> according to the timeline, it is Diana talked to your husband about it. I've had many conversations with Michael and Brett about this. Brett did a whole video on our YouTube channel about all the game's story that is told out of order, and this is the mm-hmm. second to last. Even though there's like eight other games releases, this is the second to last of the story the, that you're currently hmm. sort of seeing adapted on Netflix. I think that's on pause. Day Defeat is released on Windows. Um, Valve's Forgotten World War yeah. II shooter. It amazes me Valve has a game that is just like down the memory hole. Started out as a mod for Half-Life, which, god damn, Half-Life modders back in the yeah. day. You guys got some good skills and some good deals. Yeah, that engine was amazing. It created things like Portal, Team Fortress. And if you look up, man, the early version of Team Fortress 2, it just looks like an advanced day of defeat before they revitalized it the pit with a Pixarification of a game that's still being played this many years later. But yeah, Day of Defeat kind of got forgotten with the uh, trend of World War II games dying. But it was pretty big in terms of the PC community at the time. I never spent much time with it. I watched it get played a lot at land parties. And then of the most hysterical thing to watch from a distance and not play as a PC gamer, EVE Online goes online, which I think still represents a substantial por- portion of the Icelandic economy. Real money <laughs> is spent in this game. Think, uh, events that occur in the real world affect things that happen in the game. Uh, I just read a story recently about EVE Online, a Kickstarter book about the EVE Online world. A faction in the game disliked it, took a whole another faction down, creating hundreds of thousands of dollars of like in-game damage. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the most expensive video game session of all time was a battle in EVE Online where players from one faction started attacking another faction because of unpaid taxes, essentially. And then the war kept snowballing and... Players spent a total of around 350,000 real dollars mm-hmm. in this battle. It, it's, in ships lost. I will never play this game. It is, I will read every batshit story about the game that every, every time have you read about like when they have an Eve Online convention, these people meet face to face and like, oh, so you're my colonel general? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> teenager. It happens a lot in Iceland. I know my roommate was. Iceland, I think the nation of Iceland flew him there to cover it because it's like such a big part of their economy. Yeah, still being played to this day and still real money being funneled into it with real world recourse. It's insane. Eve Online, 20 years old. So let's close out with something from uh, Mighty Wind. Diana, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the pick. We got, we've got basically a dozen original songs to, to pick from and they're all pretty dang good. I, like I yeah. said, we've got the Oscar nominated Kiss at the End of a Rainbow. Old Joe's Place, two different versions of Never Did No Wandering, the theme song, Potatoes in the Paddy Wagon, which is a really fun song that <laughs> your makes favorite. no sense. Um, hmm. I, I feel like we should go with Old Joe's Place. There we go. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I love Christopher Jack's character and voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, he looks he looks like a clown spokesman for an arcade in the eighties. Uh, has a great voice. Uh, well, let's close out with some mighty wind. Let you know how much we like it and recommend it. But we'll be right back with our final segment, twenty thirteen. And there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about there, so don't move. Well, there's a puppy in the parlor and a skillet on the stove and a smelly old blanket that a Navajo wove. There's chicken on the table, but you gotta say grace. There's always something cooking at Old Joe's Place. Hello, Mr. 
Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of May 5th through 11th, yep, we have three movies all turning 50 years old from 1973 of, um, well... It was an interesting day at the, at, at, I would say, at the multiplex, but we didn't really have multiplexes yet in, in 73. Let's start with the uh, the critically acclaimed one that I fully endorse. Uh, this week sees the 50th anniversary of the release of Paper Moon, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, starring Ryan O'Neill, his little daughter Tatum, Madeline Kahn. For a movie that's like, it's about the Depression and it's in black and white, this is a ridiculously fun movie. <laughs> and I, I have to point you... I hate pointing to other podcasts, but you must remember this did a whole series on Polly Platt, who was Mrs. Bogdanovich at the time, and how much of her work is really reflected in this is very interesting, and his whole career, really, and how it fell apart a bit after she moved on to bigger and better things. But yeah, it's about during the Depression, uh, they're out in kind of Kansas, the Dust Bowl, and this guy is a con man selling Bibles, and he ends up having to have this orphan come along with him, and she he's like oh god a fucking kid and then she turns into a pretty good con woman too so it's kind of a road film you know it's it's kind of a misfits meeting of the minds kind of movie it's it's got cons it's it's just a lot of fun it it seems like a movie that's like oh this is gonna be like a weird bummer but no paper moon really fun light comedy totally totally recommend it then not a comedy (laughs) the same week in 1973 saw the release of coffee starring pam greer you co- they call her coffee and she'll cream you that was the tagline <laughs> and it's one of the series of black exploitation films from the 70s where pam greer has a, a loved one wronged by drug dealers and then she just starts fucking up drug dealers and it's a lot of fun it's it's i don't know if it's pam greer's best movie that, that might be foxy brown but it does have an amazing soundtrack with a theme song that is very heavily reliant on the vibraphone which is not an instrument you hear much especially in funk and yeah coffee a lot of fun if you're gonna do some black exploitation you should definitely hit coffee and then a movie in the far off year of 2022 Stoilet Green came 50 years ago this week, <laughs> directed by Richard Fleischer and starring uh, Charlton Heston, Chuck Connors, Joe Scotton, Edward G. Robinson, Lee Taylor Young, old old school folks showing up in this 70s, you know, dystopian sci-fi thriller, which you, you know the end of the movie. You know the punchline. It's been ruined for you. But the idea that the Earth's biggest problem would be overpopulation to the point where there's just people everywhere like there is no you can't walk down the street because it's just covered in people and and the you know government and corporations are like trying to deal with this and they're obviously up to no good and you know well you know what the, the ending is but it is fun especially as a vision of 2022 that far off year it's yeah it's definitely got some style it's got some good 70s style charlton heston eating the scenery as always and i totally recommend it i i wish i just brought it up last year but i had to wait for the the anniversary so yep coffee soylent green and paper moon you can't believe i'm recommending these all in one breath but that's the magic of cinema there's something for everybody there so that's it for this week stay classic
2013 with Young and Beautiful by Lana Del Rey of a soundtrack that we'll talk about shortly. Hmm. Welcome hmm. to 2013, May 5th to the 11th. Other new music releases include Time by Rod Stewart, the uh, self-titled album by the Winery Dogs, Golden by Lady, uh, Lady A, 2.0 by 98 Degrees, uh, More Than a Dream by Fitz and the Tantrums, 13 by Havoc, Unstoppable Moment by Joe Satriani, where my dad is happy. Uh, Mother, the solo debut of Natalie Maines. Uh, volume 3 by She and Him and Prisoner of Consciousness by Talib Kweli. Demi and Demi by Demi Lovato are out this week. Uh, Just Give Me Another Reason by Pink featuring Nate Roos is still number one. A little bit of news to bring you the wonderful world of t- uh, 2013. Ten years ago, the U.S. Senate passes a bill enabling taxing of online sales. Ooh. Remember? Well, every- I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. We were but... all cheating it. We... Come on, everyone yeah. listening, you were not paying your sales tax. I remember tax how, how mad people orders. got at Amazon, like, we're instituting sales tax now, and everyone's like, I'm not shopping here again. Like, can we at least acknowledge we all knew we were kind of, we were cheating something by... We yeah. were the law. <laughs> yeah. It was the law. You had to report your online sales. No one did it. Yeah. No, no one. Nope. Nope, I just did my taxes this year, and they're like, did you buy anything online that maybe was in another state and you didn't pay your California sales tax? And I go, no. Nope. no. I don't know. I only shop from California-based realtors. Yeah, my shit all came from... Delaware, or places that don't have sales tax. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Prove that I didn't, feds. <laughs> yeah, but remember Amazon's like, we're going to eliminate sales from this state and that state, and I was just like, dude. Just start charging me tax. You're already lower than everybody else by a long shot. Hmm. Just do it. And now they're setting up unsightly warehouses in every every corner of the globe, including uh, near me, where there is no water park or roller coaster. Thank you, Mighty Wind. Getting into the movies of 2013, because there is a lot to talk about yep. here. Iron Man 3 is still number of the box, box office, rightfully so, as you heard us talk about last week. But right off the bat... I, Ooh, an, oh, you al- want to talk about long time to becoming a movie. An almost 15-year wait. I believe it was pitched in 1997. Yeah. <laughs> and and the contracts and then, were signed and the money was given over back in the 90s. 2002 is when money changed hands. No, I think, and, well, I don't, I'm not... I thought this was at the at the time. I thought this was meant to be Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What the pitch was to get money for this, this is... Toy Story of food, whereas yeah. Toy Story had Mr. Potato Head and Barbie were super reluctant to be involved. We want to make a movie about food mascots and everybody lined up <laughs> like free. Aver- we usually have to pay to get our image in a movie. And I know I'm a broken record, but I did a ton of research on this, a fun article about it. It's very rare for product placements to appear in animated films because they are typically jarring to the style of the film. And when it does, it stands out like a sore thumb. And it's literally illegal in America to do that on children's TV. You cannot have product placement in an animated thing for children. It's illegal to do over the airwaves. But this whole movie is marketed like that, meaning that there's a bunch of not only contracts, but not necessarily money involved, but like reasons like the Vlasic Pickle people are calling. Are we still doing this? They're really excited. <laughs> but Food Fight, a movie starring Wayne Brady, Ava Longoria, Hilary Duff, Ed Asner, Charlie Sheen, Chris Kattan, a huge voice cast. This is a movie marketed for kids. Here's a clip we have here. More fun than a spanking. I love good violation. I love anything to do with violation. <laughs> Pulverizing. <laughs> I love Jesus Christ. (laughs) Those are all lines in this film 
for babies. Mm -hmm. This movie (laughs) does not know what it's for, okay? It has no... They had so many years to figure out what they're about, and the only thing they decided upon? Food puns. That, they went, you know what? We're going to have all the food puns in the world. If you can think of a food pun in 1.5 seconds, it's in this film, okay? Anything more deep than that, they chucked it to the wayside. This might be... The most convoluted production story in movie history mm-hmm. in, in terms of something that eventually actually came out because like this isn't this shouldn't be that fascinating because it's the boring aspect of the movie industry getting money for stuff and you ever get a money for your house what happens to your house when you don't pay the money back they take your house and mm-hmm. it's essentially what happened here I think twice <laughs> yeah. insurance had to come into play this movie was allegedly stolen a targeted espionage act where that stole the hard drives containing this movie. It had to be completely redone, which they decided to do with motion capture technology instead of the original yeah. Looney Tunes. Yeah. yeah. Here's Charlie Sheen describing how he prepared for the motion capture in this film. I don't know, man. I was banging seven gram rocks and finishing them because that's how I roll. I have one speed. I'm here. Go. How so, do- Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I, I, I couldn't... Motion capture is so and it's clearly not done by Charlie Sheen and it's really difficult to tell when these voice voices were recorded because like the process start is goes on over 10 years and the most reputable company involved was Lionsgate but that was before they were like kind of a big contender in the studio market what i think is even more hilarious given how the hubris behind this movie like yeah we're going to have captain crunch and they're not wrong like i am a sort of excited of that notion the, my favorite food mascots intermingling with food the the movie poster doesn't feature the char- the main characters it features the, the charlie tuna guy the vlasic pickle sork and the twinkie because those are more popular than any of the but whatever the merchandising train was a rolling i think three to five years before this movie was ever seen the merchandise for this movie was coming out across the globe with people wondering like what the fuck is this it says it's from a movie. The movie missed its target release date so many times. It's eventually, a, it, it balloons from a $20 million animated movie to an $80 million animated movie. Jesus. Auctioned off for $2 million by the bank after the loans are forfeited or they, they default on their loans. Do you know how many episodes of Firefly we could have gotten for $80 million? <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> But it wouldn't have happened over the course of over a decade. So that because it, it what is that would have made it even better. Come on, a new Firefly, <laughs> two new Firefly episodes every year for a decade. You, you, that would have been awesome. You usually hear about a tumultuous production like this with someone like Orson Welles wants to make a movie and they lose funding and they Ed Wood and they get funding here. But there's a lot of corporations you should have known better. And if General Mills and Post and Monsanto wanted this shit to come out, they should have forked over a little bit of fucking money, made it happen. But nobody the did. The only way you could have made this a good movie was to just utterly humiliate and degrade the corporate sponsors. Okay. Right. Because they did that with Sasha's party. And Sausage Party was hilarious, but it was filthy. It was dirty. It played with this exact same concept in a way you could never do with the actual pickle mascot, actual Charlie the Tuna, because the companies would never allow that. But w- The entire central premise of this movie is flawed. I don't think you oh, can the, make this. The, the movie's movie. terrible, and I don't care about the premise at all. A, a serial mascot solves crimes, and he's voiced by Charlie Sheen. Who gives a shit? Right. <laughs> the, the, and, the... and they're dealing with, uh, oh, no, they're brand x is coming in and pushing all of the 
branded stuff out of the market and they're using a bunch of Nazi imagery with that. Yes. And it, oh, yeah. Lots yeah. of Nazis in this film. Lots yeah. of them. And th- th- generic this- food is the worst kind of food, I guess. This movie did. I always buy generic. <laughs> I always buy generic. Yeah. This movie did yeah. not come about through any artistic means. It came about exploiting corporate brands, and surely the public and the brands will be behind this. So it's hard to feel sorry for it. But what you see is what the people who would make Ed Wood movies, like how they 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 find a movie with a bunch of money sunk into it, and like maybe if we put a little more in we can get this released and make, you know, CB movie <laughs> magic. This movie only comes out because someone managed to like get it for $2 million and like, yeah, we can release this on DVD and streaming's a thing. This for me premiered on Amazon Prime. It was an Amazon Prime exclusive and I watched it there and watching it is an assault on your eyeballs. Like, like it, <laughs> CG technology and animation changes and things look better and things look worse, but this looks worse than the first Shrek in 2013, and I had to look it up. Despicable Me 2 is out. Frozen is on the way. The Croods, like, this does not look like any any of its contemporaries. It looks very, 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 very bad. And the idea of, like, merchandise hitting to this and people wondering, like, what is this? Why am I get, Why am I a little Malaysian kid opening up a Charlie, do- a Charlie <laughs> Sheen dog toy on my 10th birthday? This movie is hilarious, fascinating. It deserved bad things to happen to it. It came out even worse. Don't watch it. Watch a YouTuber contest contextualize it for you put them through the i watched it back when i was just trying to watch every animated film and this was kind of talked about in you know animation nerd circles like what the this is like every two years there was news this was coming out again and it sort of appeared fully formed after being stolen and redone and in this awful awful sub local commercial like local commercial level of cg Uh, oh it looks so so rough i loved saying that yeah after they bought it at auction for like two million dollars they were like we're just get it to releasable it doesn't have yeah. to even look good anymore yeah and like the the quality of the animation is a bit uneven like considering what they're working with i guess in, in- they 2013 sort of when, together, when but the whole idea is terrible that was a good point i was going to actually recommend it as being one of the worst films ever made but that can it can it's hard to watch it is hard to we, watch if you you watch you know a, a youtuber make fun of it that's probably a better way to watch yep. it totally we need lost soul 2 okay lost soul 1 <laughs> was about the making of the island of dr moreau I want oh. to see Lost Soul 2 about the making of Food Fight. It's, uh, it's so... I am all in. It, I, I don't know that it has a singular that. person involved with it the entire time. It's directed by Lawrence Kazanoff, who at this point had not made a computer animated movie, nor did anybody assume he could, and nor has he made one again. Yeah, just not good. But if you remember, somebody was... Those film poachers, whatever you want to call them, they were smart. We can buy an animated movie, which typically costs $100 million for two. And right now, it's where where are we? In a world with only Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. And they're all signing lucrative contracts with Disney, who will eventually have their own streaming service. Getting any animated movie on one of those platforms will make our money back. They're dying to have an exclusive animated film. It's smart. My God, Chris, I'm, I am looking at Lawrence Kazanoff's filmography and yeah, he's mostly an executive producer. I think he was, he was a, uh, an executive at one of these things. So 2012, he is credited as producer, director, screenwriter, and the voice of Cheezle T. Weasel in this. Mm-hmm. His next fiction film in 2020, 
Bobbleheads, Bobbleheads the, movie. the movie. He tried it, it again. All comes together. He tried it again. Thank you. That's how far I went down this rabbit hole where I end up with Bobbleheads the movie, which doesn't have many even pictures from it. I don't even know what the fuck it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Secret Lives of Bobbleheads. Like, my neck hurts. Yeah, we know. <laughs> uh, you want to go over there? Yes. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, my speed don't work. Uh, this is a boring movie. Maybe we'll make it yes. like a play. <laughs> it's, it's waiting for Godot starring two bobbleheads. This Brilliant. movie shouldn't exist. Everybody involved should be embarrassed. But yeah, I don't know. There's just like no noble endeavor behind this at all. So I don't care. I don't know if the cast should feel embarrassed because... I'm sure they recorded their parts for a different movie yes. eight years before it came out. Yes, 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 yes. Unbelievable. Unfucking believable that this movie exists. Moving on, sadly, because that's all I want to talk about. No, no One Lives Forever with Luke uh, Evans, Adelaide Clemens, America Olivio, Derek McGar, Lindsay Shaw, Brodus Clay. Have I heard of any of these people? What's No One Lives? Uh, no One Lives is uh, produced by WWE Films. But a very hard R horror movie. Every I'm not going to watch it because I'm a big sissy, but every single review was like, this is okay, but my God, if you are into gore, here you go, guys. Because it's about like a group of kidnappers, and then there's torture, and there's murder, and there's murder, and more torture. And every single review was about how gory it is. So that's your thing. There you go. Let's move on to, yeah, a good movie, Movie. which I wish we could have talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about Huck Finn. Ah. Because... I think there's some cool overlaps. With uh, Michael Abbott Jr., Jacob Laughlin, Ty Sheridan, Ray McKinnon, Paul Sparks, Joe Don Baker, Mitchell, uh, Stuart Greer, Sam Shepard, Sarah Paulson, Michael Shannon, Reese Witherspoon, and Matthew McConaughey in Mud. Mud. Yeah. Mud. Oh. Mud is a guy who lives on a boat. Some kids come and see him and are like, you, you, why are you living on this boat? And he's like, because uh, I need to save my girlfriend. And they're like, okay. And then... Oh, over the period of time, he learned that adults lie and have their shit fucked up and they don't know as much as you think they do. And uh, these kids kind of get roped into situations they shouldn't be in because they have this, you know, weird adult friend played by Matthew McConaughey. And I there's I I feel bad I didn't rewatch it, but I really liked it when I saw it 10 years ago. And it kind of dawned on me as like, this is kind of like a modernized Huck Finn, but without the, you know, runaway slavery part. And it's like, oh, some other critics thought that too. I I like feeling validated about that. Yeah, the idea of freedom versus society and adults being uh, not really any better than kids, (laughs) being corrupt and having lots of problems and lying to others and lying to themselves. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're deep in We've said McConaughey a million billion times, but we're <laughs> we're deep in it. He'll get an Oscar by the end of the year, okay? Just but yeah, not, and not he's so good in this because he's he's a charming guy, and you want to believe him, but maybe maybe he's not telling you the truth. Maybe he doesn't know what the truth is. I, yeah, yeah, total recommend for Mud as a, a coming of age movie. I did not. I did. I. This is one of those movies I'm pissed that I, I had this in the list. Do watch this before we do the show, especially because yeah. I fell down a. a Nathan Fielder rabbit hole in that last episode. They <clears throat> pretend to shoot mud too, uh, trying to find it. <laughs> so, and I, yeah, that's a joke I should get more of and could not get around to it. Mud, yep. mud. Big recommend. Big recommend. Uh, yep. a, a movie I'd never heard of. I ain't care. Melvin Van Peebles, Tyler Williams, 
Apatha Merkerson, David Allen, Apatha Merkerson, Apatha Merkerson, Apatha Merkerson, David Allen Greer, Dag, Carrie Washington, and Craig Robinson in one of his few leading performances, right when the office is about to say goodbye. Peoples, like spelled yep. like the Easter confectionery. Peeps, people. It's it's about the peeps that come alive at the supermarket. No, no. But they're all stuck together in groups of four. That would be hilarious if there were two peeps narratives in theaters this week. Uh, Food Fight, mm-hmm. by the way, made $73,000 at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, Peoples is produced by Tyler Perry, but that's kind of the end of his involvement. But it sounds like a very Tyler Perry movie. Right. You know, Greg Robinson wants to proposed to his girlfriend they end up you know at like the fancy weekend away in the hamptons and then wackiness ensues and his, his her mom doesn't like him and people's relationship troubles come to the surface and at least there's a point where uh, i think he gets dosed with shrooms aha so that's fun always funny yeah. I, you yeah, know i'm not the best person sort of like yeah to evaluate this film but it i guess it was an active counter programming probably not done any favors going up against shit like iron nope. man 3 in the next movie um nope nope ass- this is this is getting dumped as counter programming and that's a- fine assuming black people who, who like romantic comedies won't go see the other big ones this week yeah. they were wrong finally we have a movie i could not finish but not out of like anger but just like i'm exhausted uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm Let ex- me guess. Is it directed by Baz Luhrmann? Yeah, which I just... Uh, That's what he knew. The Oscar show ever comes out, I can tell you what I thought of Elvis. A lot of those same opinions. Elizabeth uh, Debicki, Jason Clark, Isla Fisher, Carey Mulligan, Joel Edgerton, Toby Madge, Toby McGuire, and Leonardo DiCaprio in The Great Gatsby. I'm Gatsby. I wish it could always be like this. It will be. I wish I could have warned him it was all about to crash. What kind of a row are you trying to cause in my house? I heard it killed him. You want too much? This was a terrible mistake. I just let myself go. I I felt absolutely unqualified. I, I, I watched this movie late, fell asleep, went back. I felt unqualified to talk about this because, like, if this weren't adapting something super famous, which I have not read, this is a batshit terrible way to make a movie. <laughs> uh, like, I, 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 that is a stylistic approach to a story everyone knows, which I did not. Like, why are you treating me like this? Is Gatsby real? <laughs> he doesn't seem so real. I had to read this in high school, and I just assumed everyone had to read this in high school. I, think... I actually didn't and just went and read it on my own because it's not that wow. long. And you I just may be the to... only person I've met who read The Great Gatsby outside of high school. I, I felt like I was missing out. I was like, this is everyone else is being forced to read this. But for whatever reason, in, in my uh, American literature class, we never did it. So and the, oh, it, I only it's saw that long. And, and yeah, I find Fitzgerald pretty easy to read. And I only saw one other like adaptation it. of this, but it was Andy Kaufman reading the whole thing to me at a comedy show. It was kind of disappointing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, no, I, I not only like I'm I'm an English major and read a lot and I can see there's like a 10% chance I weaseled out of reading this even though I was required to. But no, it was never part of any curriculum for me. Hmm. Read tons of books throughout school and didn't have a TV for a very long time. That's why I'm obsessed. Anyway, but 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 it's it's also moves at a breakneck speed and employs so much blue screenery and fake mm. backgrounds that like I I felt my brain like 
some is this a stylistic approach or is this not supposed to look even slightly real? I watched it for the first time for this show and I really want to know what if 2013 audience went this CGI is believable because mm-hmm. to my 2023 eyes it's just like are you even trying? Maybe We're, not. Mm-hmm. Maybe they are trying. I, I Maybe was that's shocked. not what they went for. I my only timeline I have on this uh is that I loved the Avengers movie from last year and that is almost entirely a green screen movie with green screen costumes and all of that still holds up as believable but yeah. some of this is so watercolory and bright give especially given the era we're in maybe it was a stylistic choice Boz Lerman makes a lot of stylistic choices I probably wouldn't have thought of I can't tell if this this is good is what I'm saying Diana I'm looking to you <laughs> because like I just thought it was jarring in in like I think both of us uh, talked off Mike about Babylon and mm-hmm. which is a movie yeah. that like strives to make the decadent sequence in, in this for the entire film. And, <laughs> and I just thought it was exhausting and like, wh- what am I supposed to latch onto here? What the fuck is happening? Is this a loose adaptation, a thorough adaptation? Uh, nope, no, this is a no. good adaptation. As, as yeah. far as adaptations go, this might be the most accurate the great Gatsby has ever been adapted. So is yep. Gatsby uh, a metaphor the, for Toby Madge? Like he doesn't seem no, like a real, real character. No, he's he's no, he's, he's, he's not real or dirty. He's, he's talked he's about real. and nobody ever sees him except for Toby Maguire, and all he wants is to solve his problems. It like it's, <laughs> I'm not familiar with the subject matter. It seems bizarre <laughs> okay. to me. Chris, write write your PhD on how uh, Gatsby is not real. Well, I'm, so, I'm sort and, of asking: is that is that an interpretation for literature? Is that a scholarly interpretation of the novel that like Gatsby doesn't exist? I've never encountered that. I always took Gatsby to be a real guy. I mean, he moves the yeah. plot along. He's Leonardo uh, DiCaprio, every- by the way. In the movie I saw, throwing massive parties for people who've never ever ever seen him and he only yeah. reveals himself to toby mcguire halfway through the movie and all he cares about is fulfilling his dreams and then eventually starts talking to other characters but i'm what like why would Le- no gatsby has a no, the gatsby's the whole thing is he has an unrequited love from five years ago yes. and this is one of my fundamental problems about looking at literature as a middle-aged dude mm. okay when i was 14 <laughs> I could read Moby Dick and go like, oh, the whale bit off your leg. So obviously you're going to spend the rest of your life getting revenge on a whale. That makes sense to me as a 14 year old. Mm -hmm. As a middle age ass man, I'm just like, grow the fuck up, Gatsby. You haven't seen this girl in five years. In that five years, you haven't met anyone new. You haven't developed a new hobby. You you haven't had anything in your life but dwelling on this one girl from five years ago that you haven't talked to at all. And gangsters mm-hmm. with their arm around each other with prohibition booze, and you found nothing fun to do. Why are you throwing these parties every week? Sorry, that yeah, th- Ex- well, exactly. That that's a that's the tragedy of it all. Is that yeah? He is so focused. He can't enjoy. He throws these big ridiculous parties, and then he just stands upside up, upstairs watching them. And it's just to try to get attention from a girl who's married already. Just this is my move problem. On, dude. I don't move view on. that as a real human being. Okay, this is a self-made gangster millionaire in an age when a millionaire was basically like a billionaire today. Okay. Mm-hmm. He should have other interests. He should have had wild, crazy adventures becoming a self-made gangster millionaire. And he should have yep. met someone other than this one unrequited love 
I'm sorry to harp on it from five years ago. Yeah, that's because she's the thing he can't buy. I'm sorry, we're analyzing the book, not so much the movie, but she she is a thing that he cannot buy. And honestly, I don't think she's worth it. I've always found uh, Daisy to be kind of a boring character. Mm. But that's probably the point. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's absolutely the point. Daisy is a boring character by design. And that's another reason I have problems with the book I haven't uh, read in 30 years. But yes, going off all my high school memories, I did not like it then. I did not like the movie adaptation now. There are 25 minutes of decadent party scenes in this film. Bit much. Mm. Bit much. Like I said, I I just watched Babylon that... Uh, strangely yeah. focuses on champagne bottles being stuck up people's asses and showing it and like I've seen more decadent party scenes now yeah. Gatsby <laughs> well yeah and so obviously because this is such a faithful adaptation textually any problems that you have with the story from the book are going to immediately be in the movie there is no fixing them but as an adaptation because it's Boz Lerman mm-hmm. who is a man with no subtlety whatsoever yeah. here he is he's reteaming with Leo after Romeo and Juliet one of the most over the top fucking things beautiful that's film ever happened, but beautiful. Like mm. well, sometimes it hits. You know, I I honestly I really loved all this because it was so over the top. Me too. And here I was wondering how everything that was not a party scene was going to work because yes, the party scenes are ridiculous and extravagant, and they're they're playing Jay Z. You know, the, mm-hmm. and people criticize that. Why aren't you doing period music? And it's like because we need to feel like it's the coolest thing ever in a 2013 way so that we are we feel more there if they were playing yep. 20s music it wouldn't seem as cool please tell it me it would seem please like tell the me. oldest most foggiest grandparents you've ever I know, I, I, that's I, I, what it would yeah. seem we like. talked about that during the elvis discussion but like someday that's music's going to be dated too so jr if you could tell me like just in any future where your children hear you listen to jay-z and they're like ah start talking about them like frank's jay-z like frank sinatra <laughs> <laughs> old jay-z music yeah uh, so like he gets that and i feel like so many but also because it's such spectacle the emptiness at the heart of it is never there and that's one of those things that's no. carried over to this day people have gatsby parties where they dress up and it's the 20s and they're being fancy and it's like the point of the party is they are empty and meaningless mm, and right. it's a book written in 1925 that it feels like it knows the great depression is about to happen but it's written in 1925 like you have the feeling the wheels are coming off any second now and everything's going to be ruined for these people the- all we see is awesome party yeah. okay there yeah. is never yeah. in this film the scene where wow this party is leaving me utterly empty and i'm alone you can film that i've seen mm-hmm. films have a decadent party and have someone in it just be utterly all alone that's not yeah. what we see I'm, in I'm here i'm saying i appreciate this. speaking of the wheels coming off every scene with a car mm-hmm. they shoot what do you want to call them? Like what look like a, a boxcar derby thing a child would make going about 900,000 miles an hour, speeding through streets yeah. like a Lamborghini. It is a hilarious touch that I love, but mm-hmm. is senseless and you'd never see it in another movie. They, they, yeah. they film those cars like they're goddamn Ferraris. Yeah, and that's how people treated them. And that becomes an important plot point. The point is that these are reckless people. Mm. It's a very famous line from the book that they are reckless. And yeah, and then someone dies because of it. And yeah, you look at those cars and you're like, what are you? I would never drive over 20 miles an hour in that. They don't have seatbelts. <laughs> no seat they don't have turn signals. They don't have roofs on them. The windshield will murder you. 
<laughs> we're all going to die. And they're like, woo, driving in the sea. Sixteen people and, in a car, like Archie and the gang, yeah, <laughs> drinking when driving. Like, doing a good job of visualizing that, except that also the CGI looks so fake that it doesn't visualize that because I'm like, well, no, no. It looks like they're in front of a you know, a movie screen, <laughs> not actually driving anywhere. Yeah, I I kind of chalk this one up as a noble failure. Big part of it is the language is pretty important in F. Scott Fitzgerald, and there's just stuff missing. I think uh, everyone's cast really well. I really like Isla Fisher in this. I thought she was cast really well, but... <sighs> Great Gatsby is an internal book. It's about yeah. someone's inner journey, their inner struggle, their inner thoughts. That's not a visual medium. Okay, novels are playing out better at capturing someone's inner feelings than movies are. You can do right. a lot with movie visuals, but if you really want to examine someone's internal changes in their mind, novels will just slaughter was, movies in I, that subject every the time. The last time I had that conversation about a book I read, we were talking about On the Road, which is like a guy mm. musing about everything happening all over the world while on a road trip, but you can only film the road trip. It yeah, doesn't translate unless you very start well. just doing tons and tons of voiceover, which will get really boring. Yeah, which this movie you, you does can't. a lot of voice. I, I'm, I'm not saying I dislike the movie. I just thought it was batshit, like utterly <laughs> insane and, and not, not knowing what it was trying to emulate from the book or not. Like I was transfixed, but I didn't get it. Uh, I was, I, I wasn't, I, I, I don't know what do you, it was like a roller coaster to me, less like something. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm really enjoying the pathos of this. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe I've got to see what happens next. Cause this movie's insane. <laughs> and I, I think it's, it is streaming on HBO max. It only thing I had in my notes, like it, probably the most, the weirdest, it is shot in 3D, and like other than Hugo, I, I can't think of a un more unlikely movie that that happened with. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of scenes where you watch the camera pulls out. I think that's supposed to wow you with 3D, the way the backgrounds move, and it's not uh -huh. there in the version I watched. It's so hmm. instead of wowing you visually, it's like, what the fuck is? Is this a dream? Is this a dream? <laughs> is, is this character hallucination? Because that's how I feel like it's shot. A, a fucking mm -hmm. cocaine-addled dream. Yeah. Which I feel like that works for some parts and some other parts just like, dude, Baz, can you bring it down just I, a little bit? This I is admire, a scene of two people talking. I bring admire taking what, from my mind, I was going into thinking a stuffy work of classic literature being uh, shot with the loudness of a fucking music video. And it is. So it's it's there's something compelling about it, but I didn't feel qualified. Is this good or bad? Because I don't know the point of the Great Gatsby, and mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure this character exists. But he only started talking to characters in the film ha who had never heard or seen him before, did not know what he looked like until Toby <laughs> discovers him. Anyway, uh, let's focus on the good things of this film. Has Leonardo? ever done a single bad performance because even though i don't recommend this movie i think he knocks it out of the park again he, again i wanted to highlight mm -hmm. this boy's life because from his first starring role he's the shit and this is, somehow reunites him with toby mcguire who has a very small part in this boy's life they were good friends who never worked together between this boy's life and this and now they're the yep. two leads yep and that's uh, pretty cool pretty neat pretty neat just wanted to high i discovered that watching this boy's life in the trivia like oh shit i gotta see the gats now yeah I, but again this is a huge box office success and i didn't yeah. know anybody who saw this at all did you see this in theaters diana nope jr nope. no nope i watched it for the first time i, I guess that yep. just speaks to the nature of the source material because the reviews yes. aren't great 
It's probably no. one of the kind of the worst reviews I've seen in a Baz Luhrmann movie because he usually gets reviewed fairly well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's DiCaprio and it's spectacle. Mm -hmm. That's that's what's going to get you in the door. It's like it, all the ads for it. I, I had to find the one that had actual talking in it because it's pretty much just spectacle. Also had yeah. that rad Jack White cover of a U2 song. Woo. But yeah. And I mean, the soundtrack. Oh, God. The soundtrack was just fucking everywhere. It, it, uh, tie ins with clothing. And uh, I mean, the marketing on this thing. Uh, yes. I mean, I appreciate. Yes. Let's market a. 90 year old book aggressively yay I somehow missed it man this is my period like with no cable and i'm simultaneously launching a podcast network while working a nine to five job i just missed all of this and i didn't hear anything about it but i i i, I, I walked the line of like is this terrible slash why aren't more movies make like this this <laughs> if, if 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 this if, if we're gonna make this a, a extra, extravagant prestigious medium Moving forward, now that like fucking Roku can make movies, yeah, maybe this is how you make movies. Enormous and loud, and that looks like a two-second sequence that costs hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, maybe that's what a big-budget movie looks like. And part of me wants to see more of it, but I wasn't necessarily fulfilled enough to watch to the end. And again, I was trying to watch it late. Sorry, I know I'm babbling, but like I, this is the most fascinating watch for me this week, even though I'm not sure I recommend it. I feel like that's how I feel about every Baz Luhrmann film. Mm. I loved Elvis. It's fascinating, even if it's making me angry every second. I thought Elvis was, it was a brilliant adaptation. I loved Elvis, but there are parts that make me angry, but also, okay, you do you. All right, well, let's move on to 2013 because there's some stuff winding down, including The Office. The Office is about to say goodbye did you mute this yourself? is the penultimate episode of the office so we are going to talk about the finale and the office as a whole in depth next week but this is the hilarious episode where jim convinces dwight that he needs someone to act as assistant to the assistant to the regional manager <laughs> and that the only one who could possibly be good enough for that job is dwight so Dwight is the regional manager. Jim is the assistant to the regional manager, but Dwight is the assistant to the assistant of the regional manager. And <laughs> it's pure office goodness. And this is the episode where they fully break down the documentary yeah. uh, because Pam right. is like questioning whether Jim really wants to stay. And then he asked the documentary crew to show her and it's clip after clip of Jim being in love with Pam. And it is adorable. If you love these two characters, it's such a sweet summary of their journey on The Office. It is, it, it's, yeah, it took the, like, The Office specials and that terrible, terrible, what David Brent documentary. They're the only things that acknowledge that a documentary is actually happening or has happened, that people are seeing this. And The Office, never, this, they don't ever get to that in The Office, do they? Yeah, they full on let watch everyone know we're aware of this documentary and it's it's the big plot bit well, other that, than that, Jim's job of the final episodes. Remember they dropped that with Chris Dino Stamatopoulos. Remember the documentary crew guy who comes out to comfort Pam and they kind of drop that mm -hmm. storyline? Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I'm not rewatching The Office as we're doing this, but uh, maybe it's worth it for this last episode because I did finally dive into the four season of Community, which I have rewatched a couple times and always skip the fourth season. And mm. the episode 
advance introduction to finality <laughs> at the end of season four, which the, it, it sets itself. If it's not setting itself up as the end of the series, then all it's of my hundred percent setting it up for the end of the series. They thought they were canceled. Okay. Dan Harmon had left. Fired. Now <laughs> he's fired. He fired. Mm-hmm. He was fired by all accounts, a horrible boss to work with. But at the end of the day, it shows that you can have a really good cover band but it's still a cover band. And that's what season four of Community was. It was someone attempting to be Dan Harmon cover band and not pulling it off. Well, that's why I was highlighting early, in the earlier segment the rise of CBS, because I grew up in the era of must-see TV where NBC dominated with ER, Seinfeld, Friends, and everything in between. And for us who liked critically well-reviewed shows, we were told NBC's must-see TV was the you know third renaissance of that post Cheers and Seinfeld, The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, but NBC always treated those shows like you cost a lot and not a lot of people watch you. More people are watching Survivor, which is way cheaper, and ended a lot of those shows earlier than I think a lot of the creators would have liked to, but I think I, I had to check. The show was renewed next week, 10 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. Uh-huh. when they were writing this episode, you can tell this is it. And it makes sense. Community. Well, I, I think community it's a four years show. Jeff is graduating. Obviously, that's the end of the show. I think community in the, those four years was like, well, this is a ratings loser, despite being critically hailed and having diehard fans. And then the four years afterward, that's when streaming launches. And mm-hmm. it's like, this is not getting the ratings we wanted four years ago, but it's none of the other shows are either. So we're going to re- renew community <laughs> at the last minute. We'll get into the Yahoo years of Community, which it still amazes me that Yahoo had a streaming. But there's there's an NBC season in between that, the fifth season. Yep. Right. Um, and, and, right. And so, but but, that- I, but watching this episode, the biggest highlight I have, it's not so much like you know the the showrunners are bad, but they're like it's like a fan wrote the show, and a lot mm-hmm. of it reminds me of Rick and Morty because Rick and Morty spent six seasons telling you things about Rick's wife and alternate dimensions and not answering those questions because the show ultimately isn't really that interested. It's just funnier that those things exist. And I hate these kind of discussions, but my, the surreal points of community always seem to branch off from things Abed mentioned or were in Abed's head. And this show totally breaks that and introduces like the darkest timeline is real. And no, everyone... no. Okay. No. You can interpret this episode as everything is happening in Jeff's head. Okay, that is what the show is telling us. This is Jeff's fantasy. That's why the vending machine is filled with eggs and meat and all the extras are attractive women. Okay, if if this is the way the show is going, which it does feel like if this is not a final episode, this feels like when the show would have jumped the shark under those certain showrunners, because now those elements are appearing in everybody's head rather than just Abed and yeah, I, I'm like, yeah, I, this is, it's not bad. It's just like a good fan written episode. This is what community people want to see when, you know, most people don't know what they want to see. And the fact that community played in those surrealist fields doesn't mean you can bring every character into that and focus every episode on something like that. And it brings back paintball and interdimensionality in, in a way that like seemed like fan service by people who were not the stewards of the franchise. And it's, unsettling but not bad it's just not good either and i'm sorry i went the made the point to watch this episode because i I bailed on almost the entirety of the fourth season because it makes me feel bad if someday i do a community Mm rewatch because i've only been watching a couple from this season just for the show i think i'm just gonna flat out skip season four yeah i really do i think i'm Mm. just gonna be like 
I'm just going to skip over that because season. F- this is how long ago it was. Season four is the first season of Community. Either me or my roommate didn't buy on DVD, and that was after torrenting the episodes and then rewatching them once or twice a week as well, or different times. Now, and- in 2013, did you know who Dan Harmon was? Yeah. So just the, the, okay. the he. he he started to emerge as a personality unto himself, and his reputation was kind of out there. I wonder if he's the first showrunner where people were like, yay, bring back that showrunner. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I challenge any CSI fans to tell me what season <laughs> one of those shows switched showrunners. Because I'm sure it's happened yeah. a dozen times. Just tell me when it happened without Google. Right. The, the, the Simpsons you. garners that kind of in-depth fandom and not a lot of mm-hmm. other shows do but it's woefully evident in something like community and as i believe the story went and we didn't find out until like the leaked sony emails because this is not a show nbc owns another reason they might cancel it is that joel McHale was sort of like i'm not i don't want to do this again if dan's not involved like something different happened this year mm-hmm. chevy chase the guy everybody knows is gone because yeah they shot this, this out of is- timeline so he appears in this episode but uh, not in a couple of other episodes in the show. Uh, they yeah, shot this out of correct. sequence. He does appear in this, and this is the final, final episode in which the main core cast is complete. Mm. Okay? By season five, yeah, Pierce but- is gone. Troy leaves Greendale. And then by the time of season, season six rolls around, yeah. it's like Shirley is gone too. So yep. it's like this is the last episode with the people you really think of when you think of, of – community such a strange season man and it was such a strange episode because like god i'm glad the show didn't continue like this holy shit i feel bad it's credited to megan gans who's Mm -hmm. been a writer on the show for a long time and she basically said yeah it was a rush job yeah and she's great she's a fantastic writer works on a bunch of shows that are like really funny yeah it just seems like a, a an executive interpretation of what where community should have gone despite it intentionally didn't go there for three years anyway Anyway, moving on to games, because I can lament more in this section. Doritos Crash Course 2 on Xbox <laughs> Live Arcade. What? Diana, there was a time when free games were incredibly rare. And one of the first ones ever was either Toyota Yaris or Doritos Crash Course. And back when you were hungry for achievements, a free game was kind of a big deal. And I think that there was the stats on people who played Doritos Crash Course as a free Xbox Live Arcade game was incredible. So they made a second one. It's basically like Wipeout or Takashi's mm-hmm. Castle, uh, ah. only, you know, Doritos theme. But I, I'm just super glad that Doritos Crash Course 2 resolved all the lingering True. plot threads of Doritos <laughs> Crash Course 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all <laughs> taking place in a sour cream and onion head. And then there was on 3DS Mario and Donkey Kong minis on the move, which I sort of hate. But oh, was that the Mario the Mario and Donkey Kong series is very tangentially a spin-off of one of my favorite games, which I think I even have on the fucking table here, Donkey Kong 94. That's awesome. And That's it's an awesome one of my favorite game. games of all time. Might be the best game ever released on Game Boy, in my opinion. And they made Mario versus Donkey Kong was kind of like, yeah, maybe people want Mario 2D levels that are puzzle style like Donkey Kong or more specifically 1994. And this is where they introduced the minis. And this is all the rest of the series is kind of a lemmings, a different style of gameplay entirely. And it changes into something I not necessarily don't like, but don't prefer. And I personally don't find as compelling, but they made a bunch of them. So 
clearly they appealed to somebody, but I thought that would have been a good place for Mario and Donkey Kong to continue having the 2D ladder climbing, barrel jumping shenanigans that don't belong in the Mario series proper uh, or the Donkey Kong series as a platformer, but instead it becomes all about the minis. And the next four games are just all, all mini stuff. Kind of navigating these toys, these Mario toys, in order to win the level against Donkey Kong. So yeah, not a huge fan of... I didn't like the way the series went, and it eventually petered out, but not that long ago. Um, There was something released on Wii U or Switch for free, I forget, but... um, They'll reboot it soon. I mean, Nintendo's not gonna let the puzzle genre just lay fallow forever. Yeah, it's it's just a more dull puzzle when things are just walking on their own and you it's just not i don't like that style of gameplay but yeah that is about it for the show we're going to tell you who died and you can play along with us the quiz and who lived but this is where we get some light plugs out like patreon.com slash laser time supporting this show and the whole network we should have a new episodes of our 80s in depth with spawn from this show shows we can't cover in depth on 302010 we talked about blowout which was just one of the most phenomenal viewing experiences that i'm really glad jared yeah, why not just do this if you haven't seen this? Blowout's kind of this Brian De Palma gem from the 80s. And maybe John Travolta's like best traditional acting performance, at least yeah. of that, yeah. his early era. And it's really fucking good. And I'm glad we got to rewatch it. Um, you can listen to our thoughts on that. Di, where can folks find you? You can find me on the Twitter at ListeningNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010 Podcast. It's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, we got a Black Western. We get to trek into darkness. Mm. More like darkness. <laughs> and the Matrix will reload. Oh, boy. Oh, also, boy. next week... Daniel Stern gives his final monologue as Kevin Arnold. Oh. Oh, no. Yeah. The tick comes to an end. Oh, sort of. I don't want to wait until it's over, but it's over. (laughs) It's first Uh, We'll enter the Matrix in addition to reloading the Matrix. Ooh. Confused, but I love it. And it's time to say goodbye to Scranton, PA. Yeah. (gasps) No. And I might rattle on a lot about the Muppets. Anywho, die... Who died during this period? Wow, we lost some old timers this week. In 1993, yeah. we lost Mary Philbin, who is 89. She was the star of Phantom of the Opera, the Lon Chaney wow. one. It, she basically retired when sound came into film. She and she, I think, very technically kicks off like the Universal Monster era. Is that? <laughs> yeah, they, I guess so, they, they lump that in. Like when you buy the collection, it comes with Phantom of the Opera. That's a damn good movie too. Mm-hmm. She's good in it. I, I don't know why she didn't continue her career, but that's her call. And then in 2013, we lost the king of the monsters, Ray Harryhausen, yeah. who was 92. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know that his guy. work will hold up forever, but I, for me, it does. I, I, if, I, if I'm high or a little drunk alone in a Ray Harryhausen movie comes in, I'm like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of effects that hold up, the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms mm-hmm. or Mighty Joe Young. Yeah. Those, those are the late 40s, early 50s. and. Yeah. Those effects look really good, but yeah, Seventh Voice of Sinbad, Jason and the Argonauts. Mm -hmm. Oh man, the fighting skeletons! Everyone loves the fighting skeletons. Oh, yeah, million years BC. Valley of the Guanji is probably my favorite because it's cowboys versus dinosaurs. I don't know, and that's what everybody needs in their lives. And then Clash of the Titans, which is basically designed just so Harry Housen can go nuts. Yeah, like that's the whole draw. Mm -hmm. Creators our age and a little older 
they're all almost singularly inspired. People who make monster stuff in animation are almost singularly inspired by Ray Harryhausen. And there's a reason for that. Just a yeah. pioneer in a, in a medium that barely had a name. Mm -hmm. well, Stop motion effects. I, I don't know how anyone has the focus to do that ever. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, like I would be still so nervous about moving or touching anything. <laughs> they got it down to a science. 3D printing has helped that business a lot. True. Y'all go watch Wendell and Wild. No one watched it. No I did. I did. I thought it was pretty yeah. good. Um, yeah. And with that out of the way, JR, what's going on? It's time for the b -b birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Born May 10th, 1978. In Columbus, Ohio. No, not fair. They're not allowed to be younger than me. <laughs> yep. Sorry. <laughs> he began his acting career in the early 1990s as a member of Nickelodeon sketch comedy series All That. Oh, goodness. Okay. Oh, is it Keena Thompson? It is Keena Thompson. Thompson. Oh, I can't the, believe I beat Chris to that. I was, I was like, surely he's throwing me for a loop here. It's going to be like Amanda Bynes, <laughs> and I'm gonna, we're going to learn a lot of depressing details. He landed his most famous job on SNL by doing an impersonation of Bill Cosby. And then he went on to say how he wanted to have a career like Bill Cosby. And then started a movie oh, no. produced by Bill Cosby. Correct. Yeah, movies he's been in includes Heavyweights, D2, The Mighty Ducks, D3, The Mighty Ducks, Good Love Don't Cost a Thing, Barbershop 2, Back in Business, My Bosses, Daughter, and Snakes on a Plane. Yay. He recently broke Daryl Hammond's record for longest Reason. member of SNL. And has been a cast member for 20 seasons. Mm -hmm. Wow. Says I that... think says he doesn't really care to quit either. He was simultaneously on a sitcom bearing his name last year. Rightfully uh, in 2014, SNL head writer Brian H. Tucker noted that simply put in, Kenan reacts, would get a script, more laughs, and yep. further elaborating, put him in your sketch somewhere, anywhere, and your sketch will get better. Because he knows how to take ordinary lines, make them funny, and take funny lines and make them special. It, I could talk all day about my favorite SNL cast members, but the top three in orders I can never figure out, Dana Carvey, Kate McKinnon, and Kenan Thompson. And Kenan Thompson, some of that's longevity, just how many things and characters and situations he's embodied and put a smile on my face for part of that in the McKinnon sense. And then part of that is the Dana Car he does, he doesn't really break, but he has a really good way of responding to the audience. If something doesn't get a laugh, he can get a laugh out of his next line uh, because mm -hmm. he's really, really good in like a stand up comedian sense of knowing what an audience will laugh at to save something. He does that yeah. so much. Even when he's in a sketch with like one line, he does it every fucking time. He's always like Dana Carvey. He's not breaking, but he's always kind of smiling, acknowledging we're on a show and I'm being silly and we should all be having a great time. That's what I feel when I look at Keenan a lot of times, unless he's doing a hmm. big character like Steve Harvey, where he doesn't let that on at all. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I love Keenan Thompson and I love more than anything. He is he has parents, but there's a story there of a child a Truman show esque story of a child literally built and bred for sketch comedy. That's all he's done more than any other human being alive since he's, <laughs> when was he on all that? 94 to SNL Jeez. at 30, 30 yeah. fucking years in sketch comedy. Nobody has done that. Nobody it's in sketch comedy is one of my favorite forms of comedy period. So I'm got to love Keenan. Got to love him. Yep. 
I love the all that reunion. I never watched all that. I was too old for it. It was. But, I watched uh, it, and I'm like, this is really <laughs> I bad. That, I watched that sketch a couple was a month or two ago, and uh, I laughed my ass off. I was, but I was dating somebody younger, and I had to watch Good Burger recently. And like, he's phenomenal in this. He and he's not the lead. <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, the straight guy for the most part, but is comedic and has like weird comedy chops in his teens. And I don't know how he got them. Someday we need to, ha- we got to know the story because he does, he's kind of a humble guy. I don't hear him talk about it that much. The reason they have, there's more women on the show, because I think he refused to dress in drag anymore to play black women characters. Because hmm. he yep. had to go through all that thing. All that thing. Jeez. But yeah, Keenan, ah. Keenan rules. Keenan rules. Yay. Happy Yay. birthday. You're not allowed to be younger than me. That's not right. <laughs> it's going to happen more and more, especially as the show goes on. So what are we closing no. out with, with Diana? Well, this- we didn't do it last week, but I fucking love PJ Harvey. Yeah. And we had our album last week that made the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time. So uh, I pushed it to this week so we can do 50 Foot Queenie by PJ Harvey. Yay. Yay. It's fun. It's, it's fun correcting. Woo. Well, PJ is going to take us out. Patreon.com slash LazyTime. Give us five bucks. Uh, listen to Video Game Apocalypse, and we'll see you next week. Tell you.